Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, my guy? Hey, man. I'm doing well about yourself. Pretty good. Yeah? Can't complain. I just started my new job, so I'm a little... You know, if I'm not as on tonight mm-hmm. as usual, I apologize to our dear, beautiful listeners. <laughs> you're you're about to learn her again. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Cool. But hey, you know, it's gonna work well, out. Congratulations. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, that said, this is a good one for you to be out of sorts on because we are doing a listener episode. We are. And those are always fun. We had a blast talking about slashers. Maybe got a little too mired in the muckverse, <laughs> yeah. looking back on it. But uh, I saw that there is a 4K um, still book yeah, of that out. You going to buy it? Fuck no, I'm not going <laughs> to buy it. Jesus Christ. As someone who doesn't have a 4K player, I passed on it. But, you know, that's <laughs> what it is. I think you should go buy a 4K player, 4K TV, <laughs> and get that. And that's the only 4K you have. That's the only one. Well, unfortunately, I already have like three or four... 4Ks. See, you may as well just upgrade, dude. I just get them by happenstance and then hope you want to watch it at some time. Well, so. you, you know, I'm up for almost anything. <laughs> I mean, if I could get through Muck and Killer Goats. We still got to do our Scanner Cop double feature. Oh, yeah. In 4K. That's right. Okay. Hell yeah. I'll do it. Um, But today, we are talking about Monica Oh My Darling from 2022, directed by Vasan Bala. We're back in the world of Indian cinema. We sure are. And now, Jason, I know you were a little trepidatious... About this endeavor. I was. I, um, I, I admit, fully admit that I was. Yeah. Because I think in that whole scheme of... The, which, if you've not listened to our little block on Indian films we did last year, go back to it. It was super fun. Uh, two, it, it didn't help that I pulled an incredible turd out of the list of it's movies. It's a real shit sandwich where it's two great films <laughs> wedged around one just oh, Okay. One really awful. great film. <laughs> one okay film. And one... Wow. Yeah. So bad. Um, and it left me curious to see more Indian cinema, and I think it left you a little, a little cautious. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little yeah. gun shy, but okay. you know, we'll, um, s- we'll see what happened. But luckily, one of our listeners, uh, thank you, AJ, submitted this to us. And when I noticed that it had um, Rajkumar Rao, who was one of the actors in Ludo that we super loved, this seemed like the perfect one to kind of explore to continue our little sojourn into Indian cinema. And he, he is extremely charismatic. He is. I think I would just watch anything if he's the leading man, so... Yeah. Yeah, he's very good. Uh, but before all that, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching, all that other good stuff. Um, random, like, totally unsponsored ad I just want to shout out. It's, yeah. It's June. Mm-hmm. You'll be hearing this in June. June is partner month over at Vinegar Syndrome, one of my favorite places to go find weird movies to buy. Mm-hmm. And if you're a collector like me, it's they've got so much now, it's like impossible to keep up with. Unless you're like a millionaire, I guess, or something. Or you <laughs> you sort your life out better than mine. Or, or your priori- priorities are totally <laughs> fucked. Or you, you get into the, the hell that is the PayPal pay-in-for, which I've not started on yet. So, <laughs> but, but I've heard others have succumbed to the, the allure of that. Um, but yeah, Partner Month is they like take down all their Vinegar Syndrome releases and just push the, the different partner labels that they act as distributors for. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of weirdness, lots of goodness on there. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to buy some movies, man, just go check them out. Nice. It's cool. Nice. Excellent. Little, yeah, I love those boutique labels, man. Yeah, yeah. All the weird shit out there. A little, little love for them. Um, that being said, what have you been watching? Well, I recently watched a YouTube video about the uh, violent, brutal 
anime of the 80s and 90s, and that got me feeling nostalgic. My jam. Yeah. And there's so many I still haven't seen. I, I keep needing to go back and watch a lot of these because now they're much more accessible than they were yeah, when I was a teenager. could probably loan them to you too if they're not streaming somewhere. Yeah, I'm gonna, there's someone I need to request. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they're still kind of hard to find. Mm-hmm. But back in the day when I was a teenager, I mean, forget about it. Mm-hmm. You might find a bootleg somewhere. Yeah. And there was, a, there was a brief spell when they would release the VHSs over here. You may remember them because they had like the, the yellow caution tape yeah. along the cassette. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, you know those were the good ones. Suncoast Video. That was where I yeah. picked them all up at. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm going to throw this in there just so I can maybe find it on YouTube to share. There was this commercial that they would put on TV back then that was like to mail order the VHS tapes. Uh-huh. And they always had this really aggressive guy, and he'd be like, this isn't your parents' Disney. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's like dad's cartoons. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, in particular the tape for uh, Legend of the Overfiend mm-hmm. had like this little preamble where they sort of describe what yeah. you know adult hentai animation <laughs> is like they're addressing everything from like pubic hair or the lack thereof to mm. fogging and all that stuff it's hilarious wow so anyway um from 1989 i watched goku midnight eye oh classic love it ova yeah. one and two nice yes i i did enjoy it and uh I, I see that the directors know a lot of great ones I like, like Wicked City mm-hmm. and Demon City Shinjuku. That's always been one of my favorites. Uh, Ninja Scroll, Vampire Hunter D, Bloodlust. So quite a few, you know, great, great movies there. Um, oh, he did the segment of The Running Man, too, in Neo Tokyo. That's mm. a classic. Have you ever seen that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Great animation on that one. So I did enjoy Goku Midnight Eye. It was not my favorite um, it seemed a little a little cheaper than some of the others. Yeah, the, the animation's good, but it's a little stiff sometimes. Not quite as fluid. Um, it's also kind of batshit crazy in some weird ways. <laughs> so those of That's you who haven't seen it, Goku he, he is this uh, detective. Not not the Dragon Ball. Goku. Not the Dragon Ball guy. Um, <laughs> there's more than one Goku out there, and he uh, I like his style because he wears like a. Like a suit jacket, but no shirt. Yeah, he's got that drip, man. But a tie. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a rejected Street Fighter character. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah, he does. So he gets messed up and brought back by some unknown entity. We never find out because mm-hmm. they only made two OVAs. Right. Uh, like a lot of OVAs of that time, they were basically dependent on the sales of each tape to get to the next one. So I assume this one didn't do that great. So a lot of them would go two or three episodes and then just kind of peter off. Yeah. And that's one of the things that frustrated me about them back in the day, too, because it was like comic books. Like, yeah. I remember when Image first came out, there were a couple I really got into, and then after three issues, they're gone. I'm like, fuck you, comic books. I'm not reading anymore. <laughs> oh, well, your mistake was not going for Spawn like me. No, fuck that. Ah. <laughs> um, so he gets resurrected with a, an artificial eye that is capable of interfacing with any computer on the planet. That's why he is the Midnight Eye. Yes. So he can, like, access information and spy on people and all this shit. And the weapon he has is this telescoping pole Mm -hmm. that also shoots like laser blasts. (laughs) And why not? Um, Special shout out to the half motorcycle chick in the movie. That was interesting. Because at one point there's this little dude like riding her. (laughs) Yeah. That's like Shades of Wicked City with like the spider woman and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. So, I mean, I did enjoy it. It's not one of the better mm-hmm. animes of the era, but uh, it was fun. I, I surely don't regret watching it. I would probably give it 
I want to say two and a half, but I'll probably go ahead and give it three. I'm about at a three on it. Yeah. It's one of those, like, if you like the really, like, over-the-top violent OVAs like Wicked City and uh, Shinjuku and all of those, like, it's good to watch because it's in that same zone. Mm-hmm. But it's not as good as any of those. No, and it's also not as violent. I was no. I was kind of disappointed it wasn't as brutal as I was hoping it would be. Dark Side Blues, that's another one that's... Dark Side Blues. Yeah. Okay. It's a pretty cool one. Check that out. I'm well, sure you have it. Yeah. Of course I do. I may have to borrow it. <laughs> oh, and Biohunter. <laughs> that, that's a rad one. That's on my list. Yeah. I also need to borrow um, Cyber Genesis. Is that it? Genocyber. Genocyber. That's it, yeah. It's I, fucking I, ridiculous. I need to borrow that from you. I need that one bad. It's not streaming anywhere. We should do an OVA block sometime. Ooh. That would be fun. What an interesting idea. Put that on the list. Do it. How about you, brother? What you been watching? Uh, do you have anything else? No, no. That's okay. all I got right now. Okay, I'll, I'll always bring two, so... Uh, well, I'll, I watched OVA 1 and 2, uh, okay. so I had two. Sure. Well, did you prefer one part to the other? Or? I actually prefer the first one. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, I've got two. I'm going to talk about a weird one, and then I, I'm going to talk about one that I'm very excited to talk about. So, okay. uh, And this is not one of mine, but I'm just going to throw this in there because it happened in the interim of our last episode. Um, Mother's Day occurred, and they had a Fathom Events screening of Grease. Hell yes. And I surprised my mom by taking her to go see it because it's one of her favorite movies of all time. It's such a good son. Yes. Uh, and it was super fun. I know those Fathom event screenings of old films are just like a digital file, and it's pretty much just like whatever the current media release is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still cool to see it on the big screen. And, yeah, a bunch of other people yeah. in a theater. There's a lot of people like dancing and singing along. It's fun. Yeah. It seemed like it was all like families. So. Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah, my, I'm sure my... a lot of people had my idea there. Um, but now to move into something a little racier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got this Severin... Black Emmanuel box set looming in the horizon, <laughs> which I have pre-ordered. Um, I did spring for the board game, <laughs> so of so think of me what you will. I feel like we need to film ourselves playing it somehow. I don't know how we would orchestrate that. Okay, maybe if we can rope in Chris on this. Yeah, we can get some people. <laughs> we can get some cohorts. We can make this work. Uh, plans for the future, though. Um, but it got me thinking because I was like, oh, there's all these Emmanuel films. There's all these Emmanuel ripoffs and like copycats and da 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 da. And it sparked one of those memories. Mm-hmm. And that memory was, I had seen like some Emmanuel movies on late night TV growing up. Mm-hmm. Like the whole like, you know, Skinamax sure. world. Of course you did. Um, and I was racking my brain because I was like, what was it? I can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. And so after a lot of investigation, I remembered what it was. Wait, can you get, uh, describe it a little? Maybe I can, maybe I know what it is. Is there any way you can describe it just um, briefly? Um, so there's a woman, Emmanuel, uh-huh. and um, she encounters a group of aliens, and, oh. and they are coming to the planet okay. to learn about the human species right. uh, through their reproductive process, because it's totally different from theirs. That was like a Showtime series or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. it's called Emmanuel in Space, okay. and it was like a film miniseries that they made. It's like multiple movies, and, and, then, it, and it was a continual narrative. Okay. Oh, it was it was serialized. Yeah. Oh. But wow. it was like as movies. Okay. Um. So I, I found that out, and then I went digging. Like, there's DVDs, but they're way out of print. And I actually ended up having, like, you couldn't even find a torrent with, like, seeds if you just wanted to straight up, like, pirate it. Because hmm. I, I got that desperate of, like, how can I watch this again? <laughs> um. So I found a questionable bootleg, mm. we'll say. And I'm not really embarrassed to say that because I think, like, people should know that these movies are out there and people do want to see them. And then... If someone decides to pick it up and give it a good release, there wouldn't be bootlegs if there wasn't yeah. a demand. Because um, I will gladly, anytime that happens, throw away a bootleg for a good release. But nice. um, yeah, uh, Krista Allen is Emmanuel. 
You may know her from Baywatch, among oh, okay. many other things. So this did not have Sylvia, Sylvia Christel in it, right? No. Okay. Right. Um, and I watched the first one. It's called First Contact. And it's it's so fucking cheesy. <laughs> but it's so so hilarious and so funny. And that's what I remember is that like being a pervy teen with my friends and we're like, oh man, what's this like, oh, uh, like sexy movie thing, yeah. like softcore basically. You're going to see boobies. And I mean, there is nudity. There is there is sex. It, it is softcore, so you're not seeing any genitals. So but it's so fucking funny unintentionally just because of the way they shot it and the way like, so like every sex scene is filmed the same way. <laughs> and it's like they'll be in a square room of some design with a thing in the middle. Usually that's a bed that they'll be on having sex. Mm-hmm. And then they've got the camera on like a track that slowly spins in a circle <laughs> around the bed as they're having sex. <laughs> and then while that's going on, it will like smash cut to what looks like B-real footage from like a Nat Geo documentary or like planetarium footage of just like space. <laughs> and it'll cut to that and have their like moans and stuff overlaid on it. And then like flashback to the camera slowly panning in a circle around them. It's so bizarre and so weird. And you can't help but just like laugh and enjoy it in That's that moment. That's a choice. That's a choice. Uh, it's a weird choice. Um, obviously, Krista Allen's gorgeous, so she's a good pick to be in Emmanuel. If you had to pick someone from that time, um, the the story's garbage. It's just like whatever. <laughs> of course, it's she meets aliens. She agrees to help them learn about Earth, and then it's just like excuses for them to have sex. Yeah, outside um, of the original, which is you know pretty decent erotica for its time, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure all the stories are crap. <laughs> well it's like I think I've seen one or two of them but it's been so long but like the Black Emmanuel films they have a lot of like I guess sort of like empowerment to them in a way even despite all their exploitative shit oh yeah I think so um, Laura Gimser's great but the, this this space series is just like total cheesecake whatever um, they're a little too long like every film is like 94 minutes which you'd think like hey that's not that long but literally the, the storylines are so spaced that it's kind of like three individual 30 minute stories that have been smashed together Ooh. with like no continuity. Like, oh. it, like it should have just been a TV show. Are you sure it wasn't? They just smashed them together. No, they, 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 I, I researched into it and they screened as films. Huh? Weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, very odd, very weird. If you're like me and you pre-ordered the black Emmanuel box set and you're looking for somewhere to go later, uh, maybe seek these out. Cause they're, they're at least a funny time to watch. Well, it, it sounds very different from the black Emmanuel series. At yeah. least what I've seen. Because she encounters cannibals and all yeah. sorts of shit. It's movies. a lot more tame. Right. Um, they do some weird stuff with, like, they get a device that lets them, like, change their appearance. So there's a lot of, like, they transform into another person. Yeah, and that's handy. I guess if that's your kink, that's kind of cool. But <laughs> I um, mean, if. <laughs> <laughs> but that's literally, like, I'm spending way too much time on this movie. Whatever. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm, I'm going to be that guy. I'm a champion Emmanuel in space. So, like, after she agrees to help, well, she doesn't agree to help them outright at first because she's kind of like, well, this is weird. Like, they think, they're like, oh, you're, like, the most beautiful woman on the planet. You have to help us. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, I'm not that person. I'm just, you know, like, another random chick that's on the planet. And so the lead alien that's kind of the one she's interacted with a bunch, she gives him this test where it, it has the same Emmanuel motif of, like, the globetrotting. So she's like, I'm going on a cruise on the Nile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're going to come with me, and I'm going to use the transformation thing and become another woman but not tell you who I am. And then you have to figure out who I am among the crew on the boat before we get to the city. And if you can figure out who I am, I'll help you all and teach you. But if not, then you need to find someone else. Because there's a whole thing about like something like her essence is so 
uh, perfect that they can just like sense who she is because she's so kind and nice. She's she Emmanuel. She's the most yeah, beautiful she, person. She is in Emmanuel. The world. <laughs> um, so then that whole like that's just like a thirty minute chunk in this film. This its own self contained plot, but it's basically the alien dude like fucking chicks left and right. <laughs> he he immediately guesses who she is, uh-huh. and then she goes out of her way to like dissuade him. So then he goes on an escapade of like fucking three or four different women. Only to go in a circle to come back and be like, it was you all along. Why'd you lie to me? <laughs> uh, ridiculous. Okay. Super funny. If that's your jam, there's there's laughs to be had. Some goodness. <laughs> all right. Uh, now let me get much more serious mm. and talk about yesterday. Okay. Yesterday I went to another Fathom event screening for Shin Kamen Rider. Mm-hmm. Directed by Hideki Anno, who you may know for Shin Godzilla, okay. Shin Ultraman, or if you're an anime kid like me, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Shin. No. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no Shin, Shin in there. that one? Oh, okay. Um, he did a whole thing. It was like the Shin Hero Project where he was like t- taking like superhero things of his youth that he loved and like making a new film for them. Because Shin is like new or something, yeah. right? Okay. It can mean new. It can mean true. It kind of right. depends on the context. Right. Um, but all these were like, we're going to update... We're going to update Godzilla. We're going to update Ultraman. I don't think he directed Ultraman. I think he gave that to like one of his collaborators. But he did like help set it up. Cool. Uh, but then for the this common writer, he directed it himself. Um, and it's basically just a modern, big-budget readaptation of the original like from the 70s common writer show. Which, if you know me, I'm obsessed with common writer. I love tokusatsu anyways. Um, so this was a big deal to see it get like... I'm not saying it's like a Marvel movie, but it it had the Marvel movie treatment of like super modern, super slick, big Mm -hmm. budget, big action moments, uh, big CG craziness going on. Was it as good as the Marvel movies? I think it was better because (laughs) uh, it had this emotional heart and it had a message and it had a point to it. And uh, it wasn't just like smashing your toys together for for two hours and then a big sky beam shows up. Um. Yeah, it was super fun. It's just, yeah, it's literally the classic story of a dude named Hongo Takeshi uh, who gets kidnapped by this secret terrorist organization called Shocker who are remodeling people into, like, animal hybrid cyborgs to make them superhuman. And they're trying to dominate the world, essentially. And uh, most of their agents, they brainwash, but the scientist that's been helping them feels guilty. So he subverts the brainwashing on Hongo, which lets him retain his humanity. And instead of being one of their augmented cyborg warriors, he decides to be common Rider and oppose them and fight for justice. Nice. Just classic, really awesome superhero epics. And what the film did that was super cool, I think, is that, like, it leaned into, like, there's always been kind of a little horror tinge to common Rider to start with. Um, and it really, like, dialed into that. Because, like, one of the things they talk about is, like, where they are superhuman, the like strength of their punches and kicks are supposed to be so great that they could just like smash a wall. Like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the seventies, they couldn't really go too far in the effects cause it was super low budget. But like in this one, when he's fighting the grunts, the grunts are just dudes, just like dudes in suits or stuff. Like mm-hmm. they're nothing special when he punches them, they explode blood <laughs> and just like crumple before him. And it's super violent, super bloody. Uh, and they really played that up well in a nice way. Cool. And then especially all of the other, like, cyborgs that he fights, they all have very cool, very almost, like, monster costumes going on. Um, There's a little dodgy CGI in there, but for a film made in Japan, that's kind of just to be expected. They don't don't have uh, the money that Disney has to pour into something to 
to then make everyone rush and still look like shit. But heart goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I appreciated a lot of it. Like they did a whole bunch of callbacks. Like there's little nods to references to the seventies show. Um, they do a lot of like, they'll frame a scene the same way. That's a really iconic moment. There's even a few moments where they do a music cue that's from the seventies score. And then like the actual main common writer thing, they kind of did like an update to it where it has like some modern flair to it instead of just being like an old seventies tune. Sweet. Uh, super fun, super epic. It did well enough. That it was like a one day showing. I think they added another day. That's cool. And I think it is going to get some kind of home media release. Um, I won't say too much about the plot because I think people need to go see this if you like mm-hmm. special effects action stuff. But it's a pretty faithful adaptation of the show. The show had like 100 episodes, but a lot of that was like, uh, I mean, it's like Power Rangers, right? Monster of the Week. Like every time there's a new monster. And then slowly over the course of many episodes, they kind of dole out the bigger plot. And so this film kind of just took the big plot and then condensed that into two hours. Nice. Nice. Uh, it is very rushed feeling, like it's very breakneck, like it just throws you into the action, and kind of through dialogue you pick up on a lot of the backstory, uh, which that's a trait of Anno as a director, anyways. Uh, if you saw Shin Godzilla, that's the same way. Mm-hmm. A lot of the animes he's worked on have kind of had that style to them. I, was it subtitled? Oh uh, yeah, it was uh, nice. um, Japanese Bonus. audio, English subtitles. Bonus. Some weird subtitling choices, which I, if I want to be critical at all, that's the one thing I can say is. I don't know if it was like mandated by a company or something, but mm. um, one of the cyborgs, they call them augments in this because they're like augmented humans. Uh, she's scorpion themed. So she's like the scorpion og because they call them all like whatever they are, whatever animal they were og. Because like uh, the common rider, he was the um, grasshopper og because that's like the insect that they use to fuse him. Okay. Um, but she's like about to go on this rampage and just like shoot up a bunch of places. And she's, like, talking in this limo before she gets out. And she mixes in, like, English words mm-hmm. with her dialogue. So right before she gets out and goes, like, guns blazing to attack people, she shouts, it's showtime. And the subtitle said, let's get this party rockin'. And I was like, dude, she spoke English, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Very weird. Uh, that's a little questionable. Um, huh. There were a few quibbles I had with the plot, which I won't get into because it would be spoilers. Um, the ending was like a little lackluster, like the final fight. Um, eh, I just kind of wanted like more out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, with some of it I get, cause like, it's very much like the fights aren't choreographed like the show. Like the show is still going on. Like every year they do a new season, a new concept. Um, and that's like, they have to work within their budget. Right. So a lot of the things are like very detailed fight choreography with a static camera, but because they had this huge budget, they could film it entirely differently. So they didn't really do like any of the way the TV show looks which is cool because if you got the money, you should kick it up a notch. Um, But that like pulled away some of like the dramaticness of the way they stage their fights. Okay. So a little give and take, but overall you enjoyed it. Overall. I loved it. thought it was great. Excellent. Um, Yeah. Shin Kamen Rider. Go give it a look. Right on. So today we are talking about Monica, Oh My Darling from 2022, directed by Vasan Bala. 
based on a Japanese novel written by Keigo Higashino. Yeah, I was the, surprised when I saw it. Go ahead, god of uh, mystery novels. Oh, is he? Some may say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was surprised that this was adapted from a Japanese novel, but I could also kind of see it in the plot. Yeah. Once you get into it, it becomes very apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a bunch of notes about Higashino because I am a big fan of his, uh, which we'll get into at some point here. But let me hit you with the synopsis on this film. Do it. A slick robotics expert joins a murderous plot after a passionate affair takes a sudden turn. But nothing, not even death, is what it seems to be. Mm. So what genre is this, Jason? I think this is this is like a, uh, a genre soup, one might say. It is, it is. Um... Well, according to uh, Wikipedia, and we know they're always <laughs> right, um, it is a neo-noir crime comedy thriller. Whew. That's a lot. It is. Um, do you agree with that assessment? I do think it has all those elements. It does indeed. Um, but let's unpack that a little bit. What is a neo-noir? Okay. I don't know if we've ever really talked about that too much. Okay. Uh, well, a noir film is, is of course, you know, it got popularized in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Lots of, like, you know, the hard-trodden gumshoe-type mm-hmm. movies. You know, they're always... Any Raymond Chandler novels that became films. Like right. the Maltese Falcon. Yeah. Or... That's considered noir. Usually nice dark shadows, you know, heavy subject matter. Usually some sort of a mystery involved, but not always. Mm-hmm. Uh, so neo-noir would be, like, you know, a new modern... Movement and, of that. Yeah, the reinterpretation of that. Yes. Cool. And I think I think it fits for this one. Oh, yeah, for sure. So on IMDb, they listed it as comedy, crime, drama. I could see that, too. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more of a thriller than a drama. I think thriller is the key tag to put on it. Yeah. And I think that was, that was how um, AJ pitched it to us when he sent me the message mm-hmm. that we should check this one out. I mean, some moments are almost Hitchcockian. Mm-hmm. Very. We'll get we'll get we'll get to one of my issues with this movie when it comes to that. Um, I think too, like we're talking about comedy, black comedy specifically, is where we need to drill into. Is there's some very like kind of disturbing ideas in this, but they play for laughs. Yeah, and the the comedy really comes from the characters because mm-hmm. there are some fun characters in this movie. And I don't know what you would even call this, but to me, this film, like, Ludo is the first thing I thought of as I was watching. It has that same, like, very poppy, very, like, frenetic vibe to it. It does. And normally, I'm not a fan of that style. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will admit that it works for this movie. It does. <laughs> oh, yeah, it does. Um, and also, like Ludo, it did the same thing where the, uh, the I guess you would call it the Bollywoodness of the movie is like organically placed in. It is. Mm. And I think it does a good job of that. Yeah. For the most part. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that's, it's all about taste though, isn't it? Mm. Cause if that's what you were raised on culturally, that's right. what you expect. That's what you want. If you're not used to seeing that sort of thing, it may feel a little weird to you. Right. So, so I'll be honest and maybe just say this now up front, like, to, to admit, like, in the past, like, pre this podcast and everything else, like, I usually avoided Indian cinema because the ones I had seen really put me off. And that's, like, the ones that are, like, the super Bollywood, like, every two seconds they're launching into a musical number. Right. 
Um, and that's just, what most people think about, I think. Right. That's a stereotype. Um, and so then it was really Tomb Bad that started the turn for me. Dude, Tomb Bad's awesome. I, I saw that like also before the podcast, and I was like, whoa, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then doing the podcast, seeing Ludo, and I was like, oh, they're, they're making modern films like this where it still has like that Bollywood element, but it's like now filtered through like more genre cinema-ish yes. elements. Yes. Uh, and that was super cool and exciting to me. So I I, I'm glad to find more films doing that. And you also cannot deny the Tarantino influence on this yeah, movie too. For sure, for sure. But that's when you're talking about like modern neo noirs. I guess he's one of the like foundational stones people are going to pull from. Yeah, like him, the Coen brothers. Coen brothers, yeah. It's kind of unavoidable. Yeah. So, um, do you want to go into the plot, or should I t- rant at you about Keigo Higashino, or? Um... Let's go into the plot. Okay. Because we'll save that for later. And and this this is gonna sound weird. Mm-hmm. Okay, normally I have very detailed notes about scenes and stuff, right? Yeah. So I can go through the plot pretty easily. I th- I think, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um I'm gonna need your help this time. <laughs> because I decided at the ten minute mark to stop taking notes and just oh. watch the movie. You were engrossed. I think that really helped me. Spoiler, I did enjoy it. I, <laughs> I think that really helped me like it more. Mm. I think if I had to sit there taking notes, stopping every so often, um, because you know the, the foreign to us names make you ha- you have to stop a little bit and yeah. make who, sure you've got who is that? Who is this? So I decided just to forget about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just going to pay attention. I'm just going to watch it. You know, like you should a movie. Cool. And I really think that helped me enjoy it more. Now, I, I think I do remember the broad strokes, but if there's anything <laughs> I go over, please stop me. Sure, sure. Well, here, here's the few things I'll lay down before we go in. Okay, do it. Um, so, the novel it is based on is from 1989, and it's called um, Brutus no Shinzo, or that could be translated as Brutus's Heart or The Heart of Brutus. Written by Keigo Higashino, and it had a TV film adaptation in 2011, directed by Yu Irie. And it was part of this special TV block program where they took uh, three of Higashino's novels that had never had like a film or a TV drama adaptation, and they made a film for each one. Nice. Um, which, it's out there. There's a fan sub of it, but it's, there's never been any kind of proper release for it. If you go hunting, you can find it. I did. I watched it. And probably at the end, I'll kind of lay down the differences, because I think there's some very interesting changes between the two. Okay. Because to my knowledge, this TV film is like a one-to-one, like we translated the book right into a film. Okay, kind of shot it like a script. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because uh, they were, the whole point was to be very faithful to the source. And Monica did some interesting changes where they really like adapted it to their culture mm-hmm. in an interesting way that almost, I'll, I'll say this up front, I think they kind of improved on the concept no. a little bit. Okay. We'll get into that. Excellent. So we start at this factory. Unicorn factory. Yes, Unicorn is the company. And it's very late at night, and they've got these big, like, robotic arms you would use for, like, factory work or construction. Yeah, assembling something. Yeah. Um, and the area we're in seems like kind of like more of a test bed area where they're, like, developing new technology and stuff. Right. Um, and we meet these two characters, um, Dev Prakash... I don't remember who plays him because he dies like yeah, real soon. He, we're, he, we're about to just get say, into that. Say goodbye to him, folks. <laughs> don't get attached to him. And uh, Garav. And Garav. And they're kind of just working night shift at this company. Yes. And there's something I really like about this movie, and this is a good example. It it, it does show 
and doesn't tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's 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 a little over two hours, and that's not a long movie by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, but it never feels long. Oh no! It always ha- it has this very like running pace to it, that... and it, and every scene counts, mm-hmm. which that seems like. <laughs> that, that's the that's the bare minimum a movie should do, in mm-hmm. my opinion. That's what a good screenplay should do. Pulls you through. Every scene needs to count, and so many movies just fuck that up. It <laughs> seems like you know, it's like what the fuck was that scene about? That had nothing to do with nothing. There's no payback, nothing. But there is in this movie because we see Garoff. He's looking at his phone, mm-hmm. and um, there there was a woman on the phone who we turn out her name is Shalu, mm-hmm. and. Um, She's doing like a Diwali celebration, right? Um, which Garav is played by Sukant Goel. And... He plays slimy good. Oh, yeah. Perfectly. Oh, uh, yeah. Shalu, she's played by Zane Marie Khan. Okay. Is Shalu a sort of a nickname or like little sister or something like that? I think it's like the nickname that uh, our lead gives to her because they are brother and sister. But we haven't met him yet. Yeah, because she calls him uh, Dadu. Yeah. Uh, huh. I don't see anything about that here. It's probably something we're missing. We'll just stick with Shailu, though, because that's what, that's what they call her in, though. Yeah. For most of the film, yeah. They mention her full name, like, once or twice. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <clears throat> So he's watching this video of her, mm-hmm. and it's obvious he's in love with her. Obvious. And he's looking at a picture of himself and her and, and Dev, who just came in. And he's like zooming in and cropping it so it's just him and <laughs> Shalu. It's very evident. Yeah. So Dev comes in. He's all happy. He says, hey, I just proposed to her. And <laughs> uh, Garov's like, oh, what did she say? And she <laughs> said, yes. So um, immediately after that, there's an accident. Yes. Uh, conveniently, he, he goes to check on one of the robotic arms. and um, It's like a big oversized Doc Ock arm, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how like when the claw opens, it's got like a little laser sight that's supposed yeah. to use to like map where it is. But it makes it seem like it has an eye. Right, yeah. Um, and it out of nowhere fucking attacks Dev. Yeah, it twists his head. Yep. Snaps it. Does a full 360. Kills him. Yep. Uh, ultimately, this gets ruled as an accident. And I think it comes up later, but just to get it out of the way, there's a safety officer that worked at the company named Faridi, and he gets fired for negligence. Yep. He takes the fall. Uh, we cut to six months later, and it's Unicorn's 50th anniversary. They're having one of those big Huge parties party, yeah. that corporations throw for themselves. You know, Pat themselves on the back. And we're introduced to a bunch of important characters in succession. And it's nice enough to give us little title cards yeah. to know who's who. Right. And unlike Muck... They're actually fucking useful and done well. <laughs> this is how you do it. Yeah. But we see Garov. Mm-hmm. He had a mustache. He shaved it, which makes him look makes him look even slimier. I think. Yeah. Like less trustworthy. Um, and he's kind of with Shalu. He's like, with Shalu. Yeah. And not really implied if they're a couple or not, or what's mm-hmm. going on. But, but they're, they're definitely together. Yeah, close. And we meet. Uh, let's see who else do we meet in this scene? It's a lot of the. Uh, Antakari family, right? Yes. They're the ones that the, sort of... The own. owners of Unicorn, yeah. yes. Um, we meet uh, Satya Narayan, who is the CEO. Oh, Nishi. We meet him. Nishi, who is like the, the first father. son. Yeah, the first son of the CEO. 
Uh, he's played by Sikandar Kerr. He has like a great vibe to him too. He does. He's he's very charismatic. Has the total like schemer vibe to him. He makes a good bad guy. He he kind of reminds me of a uh, Kevin Klein in The Fish Called Wanda. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good comparison, <laughs> actually. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh, and this is also where we meet the safety inspector officer guy who got fired. Yeah. He comes out at one point saying, Hey, I'm taking the fall. This is yeah. bullshit. This is wrong. He says there's a conspiracy and he yeah. took the fall for it. Uh, that CEO, by the way, he's played by VJ Kinkre. I probably butchered that last name. I am sorry, my dude. Yeah. We're going to butcher a lot of names here. We apologize. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, we also meet the CEO's daughter, Nikki played by Akansha Ranjan Kapoor. She does a good job. It's usually the sort of throwaway, thankless role, but she kind of... She gives takes, us some weight. Yeah, she does. And she's very pretty. She's very pretty. And she's actually kind of funny, too, in, in the scene mm-hmm. coming up shortly. Uh, most importantly, I guess we meet uh, Jayant uh, Arkadar. Yes. And this is played by Rajkumar Rao. Yes. From Ludo. Our guy. And they call him Jay through the most of the movie. That's how I shall refer to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's gotten a promotion. He's a hotshot developer. And all these other guys sitting around think they were going to get the promotion. Yeah, uh, Nishi really thought he was going to get it. Oh, Arvind. We meet him Arvind, too. Arvind, yes. Yeah. Played by Bhagavati Perumal. Yes. He's, he's kind of an older, kind of like... Yeah, Pudger, dude. You can tell he's been at this company for too long. He's sitting there with his wife and kids and stuff. and He's very funny in the movie mm-hmm. too, I think. Um, yeah, but like, there's four or five different people that all thought they were going to be the ones to get this big promotion to, uh, to join the board of directors and actually have like a say in the company. Right. However, Mr. CEO kind of bypassed all the obvious choices and went to Jay because Jay has developed this incredible like operating system for he their is. robotics. Which he demonstrates. Mm-hmm. He uses his watch to control a robot arm that like opens a champagne bottle and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And mixes a drink, too. Yeah, makes a drink. Right. And he is... Uh, yeah, he's married to... Uh, he's engaged. Oh, they're engaged. Yeah, okay. he's engaged to Nikki. That's right. Um, which... On the one end, some people are questioning it, like, okay, the CEO is doing this to kind of lock him to the company. But then also, Jay doesn't really have any kind of, like, prestigious background either. So some people see it as him kind of, like, trying to kingmake himself right, to take yeah. over the company. I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, However, so, there's one more key player in this story. Yes, who are you missing right now? We're missing Monica, our title character. Of course, who comes out and sings the opening song. Yes, Monica Machado, played by Huma Qureshi. Also very beautiful. Also very beautiful. Also great actress in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she goes good. She goes through a wide range of emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She comes out and has this great dance number, singing and everything. Yep. This is the one actual like Bollywood number you get in this film. But it makes sense. Yeah, it works because it's this party. They would put on this little production. Yeah. You know, and Jay's up there dancing with her, and they have obvious... It's obvious they're... They're yeah. boning on the side. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a, it's a catchy tune. It's not a bad tune. Great song. They use it well through the rest of the film, too, because mm-hmm. it's so fun here at the start, and then later it almost starts to become sinister because it'll just pop up right. in the background. Like, it, like it's haunting you or yeah. something. Um, but there's an interesting scene where Garov comes up and tries to give Jay a watch. Mm-hmm. That's congratulations. And because was it they, they're old friends or something? They knew that's each other. what Grov says, yeah. but Jay acts like he doesn't even know him. Yeah, <laughs> and then and this is when you know Jay's an asshole 
because they show him throw the watch away as soon as Grov mm-hmm. isn't looking. I mean, he just throws it away. <laughs> That's a supreme dick move. Even if you don't like the watch or you don't like the guy giving it to you, you don't need to throw it away. He strikes me as one of those people that's like a genius, but has like lacking social skills. Or he's just so full of himself, yeah. it just doesn't matter. Because he's a good looking guy. You know, he doesn't come across as awkward or anything like that at all. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, the title of the movie, Monica, Oh My Darling, in that song, um, it's taken from the 1971 film Caravan and its song, Pia to Ab to Aja. So it was already a probably well known song. Fairly popular, I would guess. Which, again, that gave me like a Ludo vibe because I had that really classic song pulled from another film right. that kind of underscored that movie. Right. So right after the ceremony, we see Jay and Monica, they're having an affair. Yep, hooking up. And... Um, having a good time. Having <laughs> a good time. But she reveals to him that she is pregnant. There's even the scene that's... I don't know. It's uh, because uh, Nikki calls right. while he's there with her. And she's like, yeah. you know, pick it up. You know, <laughs> talk to her. You know, she's going to get suspicious. Just pick it up. Talk to her. Man, that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's unfucking comfortable. It, it's even more uncomfortable <laughs> because Monica is so chill with it. Right. <laughs> right. But she also already, she has this kind of quality that you don't really know what she's going to do. Mm-hmm. And she's very chaotic. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of hot in a weird way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we quickly learned that, um, Jay's kind of just like, Hey, go get an abortion. We can't fool with Mm -hmm. having a kid right now. Yeah. I, I, I'm climbing the ladder. You're, you know, doing your thing. Yep. Um, you said you don't want to get married. So, Mm -hmm. and then she's like, no, I'm going to keep the kid. Right. And then she's kind of inferring that, (laughs) Oh, you're going to pay for it. Yeah. You know, especially with your promotion. Yeah. You're going to take care of it. So he kind of reluctantly is just stuck yeah. in this situation. What are you going to do? What are you right? going to do? Right. Yeah. So a scene or two later, he's talking to his wife, the girlfriend, cause they're not married yet. Fiance. Um, are you sure they're not married yet? They're engaged. Okay. Um, and you could tell he wants to just admit to it. Yeah. Just say he's been unfaithful. You know, I'm sorry. But in the middle of him about to say this, she takes a call from her cousin, Vinny, whose boyfriend was cheating on her mm-hmm. and Nikki is just going <laughs> off. She's like, and I don't think she's joking, but she's like, we will have him killed. Yeah. <laughs> Which put a pin in that idea. Yeah. That's actually a more relevant plot point than you think it is. Oh, okay. All right. So, and, and she really lays on thick. She's like, Oh, my Jay would never, yeah, do he that. would never do that to me. No, we just never. need to find you someone like Jay because he, he would take care of you if you were with him. Yeah. So, and he would just be so loyal. That shuts him the fuck up. <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> uh, we get some cool establishing scenes of uh, Unicorn as a company with uh, Jay getting his office. Um, Shalu kind of gets appointed as his secretary. And she is her, his sister, correct? Yeah, sister. And he's kind of going through his mail and there's pictures in there. Yeah, he gets an envelope that's mysteriously addressed to him with no return address. Mm-hmm. And it happens to have a whole bunch of pictures of him with Monica getting it down. Yep. And there's uh, a note in there saying, meet me at such and such hotel. Yep. Which I have a little fun note I found about that. Okay. Uh, the hotel he goes to is called Prince Amar. And that's apparently a nod to uh, Vijay Anand's action thriller, Jewel Thief. 
um, in which uh, Devanon's character is also known as Prince Amar. Oh. So a little nod, if you were up on your Indian cinema, you would be like, oh, hey. That's fun. Uh, there's another one later that we actually can understand, but yeah. Okay. So that was cool. I might look that movie up, too. And we get the impression this is kind of a seedy place. Yeah. And he does not sure who he's meeting. I think he assumes, I guess he doesn't really know who it is at all. Yeah. But it turns out it's Nishi, the son of his soon-to-be father-in-law. And Arvin's there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they both claim that they have been blackmailed by Monica with her pregnancy. Yeah, Nishi's really kind of pieced this all together. Yeah. And he's figured out that Jay is also in this same mess. Mm-hmm. And so he thought the fastest solution was just to all assemble and talk it out. Yep. <laughs> and it's funny because they go through this whole cycle of like, well, you marry her. No, oh, she doesn't <laughs> want to marry anymore. Right, right, right. She's just going to blackmail us all, and um, we don't know who the father is. And Arvin's very much like, I, I can't lose my family. Mm-hmm. That's like his number one concern. And then Jay's like, well, I can't lose my position right. with the company. Uh, and we also get like Nishi knows he even says that Jay is really the son that his father wants. Yeah, you know it's not him. Um, because that's so, like Nishi's first concern is that he doesn't want Jay to mess up things with his sister. Right. He's like, you need to stay with Nikki. You need to get married to her. Mm-hmm. So Nishi decides, hey, we just need to murder her. <laughs> yeah, I like how they do it too because he's like. You want to go and you want to take a day to think about it. And then you're going to get cold feet. And then here's what's going to happen. And they kind of like a time jump. Like this is what would be happening. Yeah. And it goes through the whole motions of like it builds up and it builds up. And then finally one of them tries to like cut her off. And then she reveals everything. Mm-hmm. And then like each one of their lives falls apart. And right. they lose everything. And then in the end they have nothing. Yep. And at, at, at that point when they're at their lowest point, they will go, why didn't we just kill her? Mm-hmm. And so Nishi's like, let's just skip all that and just kill her <laughs> while we still have things to lose. He's very persuasive. I mean, it's, it's a good point, isn't it? <laughs> when, when you really think about it. And then as if, you know, uh, the spiritual world knows about this, there's like a blackout in the hotel. Yeah. And they light a candle while they're discussing <laughs> what they're going to do. Decide. Yep. So Nishi has like some, um, they're poker chips, poker right? chips yeah. yeah, and they're labeled like uh, ace and king queen, yeah. yeah. So he says, whoever gets this is going to kill her. Whoever gets this is going to transport the body. Whoever gets this one is going to dispose of the body. Yeah, he's really worked this out already, and he, he says it's going to be a murder relay. Yeah, so it's like a relay race where you pass the baton, <laughs> right. but the baton is the body. It's on his body, and um, he like- even has this little contract he brings out. Well, that's one of the things, like, you know, Jay's very smart. We've established that. And one of the first things he brings up is, like, well, wait a minute. If it needs all three of us, if one of us wants to back out, they can incriminate the other two mm-hmm. and save themselves. Yep. So how can we be sure that we're all going to stick to this? Right. Very good question. And she's saw this. Yeah. He's a contract all drawn up with their names written on it, talking about how they're all in the murder plot. And, and then they've got to hang up where Arvind is really averse to being the one that would have to kill Monica. Mm-hmm. He's fine with the other two, mm-hmm. but that one, he's like, ugh. And so they make this deal where they're going to have the three chips for, I guess it's, uh, what, like Jack, King, and Ace. I think so, yeah. And they're going to draw them, and each one is assigned to one of the roles. Right. And they let Arvin go first. Because mm-hmm. they say that uh, where he's got the family, he's got the most to lose. 
he can have the best odds of not being the killer. Mm-hmm. 33.33% <laughs> chance. And then uh, he draws, and he gets the... Uh, he's the one that disposes of the disposal body. Disposal of the body, at the yep. end. And then uh, Nishi is very kind, and he says, Jay, I'll let you mm-hmm. go next, have the 50-50. Yep. So Jay draws, and he gets the moving Transport. of the body, yep. which leaves Nishi to be the killer. Yep, do the deed. Which he seems very okay with. He seems the type, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, with his contract, he, they, he inks their thumbs, and they have to put their thumbprint next to their mm-hmm. signature. And he says that he'll hold on to the contract, and when the deed is done and everything's cool, they'll dispose of it, burn the evidence. All together. Yep. Yep. Perfect, perfect plan. <laughs> I'm sure what, nothing's going to go, go wrong. wrong. Yeah. This is such a like crime film yeah. hook. Yeah. Um, so Jay and his fiance they go off on holiday somewhere not too far away. Oh, yeah, because that's, that's part of the plan is yeah. they don't want it to happen in their city. Yeah, he has an alibi. So everyone has an alibi that's like pre-constructed for them. He's supposed to drug his girlfriend, make her go to sleep all night while he goes out and transports the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so we st- we're sticking with Jay at this point and he goes to the truck where he's supposed to go to. Oh, to lay it down. Cause this was the other reference. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nishi's part was that he was going to draw Monica to this other city for like a secret. That's right. Rendezvous. rendezvous. Yeah. Um, and the hotel they're supposed to meet at is called the Bates motel. <laughs> right, so nice, right. uh, Hitchcock reference there. Nice. Which again, you were talking about, there's like Hitchcockian elements in this. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they know what they're doing. It's also Tarantino esque. The influence to coming up again, weaving some pop culture in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a truck that Jay's supposed to go to, and I love like from a storytelling perspective the way they do this is because we they set all of this up, mm-hmm. and then we just get Jay's point of view. So we don't know yeah. what happened with we have, we have no idea what's going on. Right, we just pick it up from him sneaking away, which the way he sneaks away is like ridiculous. Yeah, they're, they're at a lake, and he like scubas out across the lake <laughs> to get to the other side to then like take a bike that he set up over there. It's to like a collapsible yeah. bike. They, they get stolen on a train ride. <laughs> um, but he finds the truck, and inside we see a wrapped body. It looks yep. like a body. It's wrapped up. You can't see any features or anything. So he's like, okay, great. Gets in the truck, drives off. And I like a lot of these scenes of like him just driving with like the music and the atmosphere of it all. Yeah. It's, it's really... It's, it's good. It had like a good vibe to it. Yeah. And there's a little interlude where he gets stopped by these armed men. Yeah. <laughs> who are apparently the guards for some rich dilettante or something mm-hmm. whose car is broken down, seeing to borrow his toolbox. And this is another one of those Hitchcocking influences, mm-hmm. you know, where the bad guy is about to get caught. Yep. And we're tense for that, even though he should get caught. He's not doing anything good here. He's doing a very bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we know the body's there. Yeah, it's like the it's the bomb under the table. It's like that thing. scene when Norman is disposing of Marion's body in the car in the swamp, and mm-hmm. it stops sinking, and you're like, "Oh no, he's going <laughs> to get caught." And you're like, "Well, maybe he should get caught." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why am I siding with this guy? <laughs> so he gets in the toolbox and everything, and I like it too because they want to get in the back of the truck, and then he just happens to notice that it's like mounted to the bottom, yeah, uh, bumper, yeah. Yeah, they weren't going to take no for an answer, were they? And it's funny because he's like, hey, just take the toolbox. I'll, I'll get another one. <laughs> yeah, I'll get another and they're one. like, no, you stay. Yeah. Uh, if, if we can get this fixed, the madam wants to thank you. <laughs> yeah. you she you. like blows him a kiss. That's her <laughs> thank you. And I like, they even prep him for it because they're like, she likes to blow kisses. Make sure that you're receptive. Yeah. Blush. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Blush. And it's, it's a neat buildup because you think this is going to chain into more. But, like, right at the height of his nervousness, yeah. 
that's they let it go and they let him go on. Right. Uh, so he drives off and meets up with Arvind, who of course is chickening out. Yep. And is like, I can't dispose of the body myself. <laughs> and they're like out in the wild. There's like, um, it's like yeah, it's uh, like a jungle. They're supposed to dump her body in. Yeah, and there's like signs for beware of leopards. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to drag her body out into uh, the woods, <clears throat> and then they see one of the leopards and get freaked <laughs> out. So they run off, just leaving the body laying there. Yeah, like near a river, I think is. Yeah. Which is not where they were supposed to put it, but. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is what it is. They were supposed to dispose of it, not just leave it laying out. Yeah. Uh, so the next day, Jay's at work, kind of super paranoid. Yep. He sees Arvin, and they both share the like nervous glance. Yeah. <clears throat> and then there's this uh, meeting, and they're all waiting for Monica to get there. She's not showing up. They're like, okay, well, we just have to go on without her. But then she shows up. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately, that's like everything twists. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, shit. And it's something you see coming, because obviously it's coming, because we didn't see what was in the, in, in the wrapped right. body, you know. Which there's even, there's a part where, I think it's when he first gets with Arvind to d- dump the body. And when Arvind finally convinces him to help him, which mm-hmm. he didn't want to do, because he's like, that's your job, not mine. He says, hey, should we, like, check the body? Yeah. And he's like, that's gross. Why would we check the body? <laughs> Not a bad idea, to be honest with you. So I, I like how they, like, layer up to that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's both very obvious, but, like, they, they earn the moment, I think. Right. So, of course, they're both shocked. And they don't know what to say or do. And Monica's just acting like nothing's wrong. Everything's fine, you know? <laughs> and then, uh, meanwhile, there's some wildlife photographers out in that jungle <laughs> yeah. looking to uh, snap some, some critters. We quickly find the brightly yellow-wrapped body. <laughs> and surprise, it's Nishi. Yep. So, obviously, their first and most obvious conclusion is that... Monica killed him. Monica must have killed him. And there's funny, there's this funny little montage <laughs> in their heads of what happened. Yeah. It's like a super action movie moment where she like spins and flourishes with the, yeah. the like meat cleaver he was going to use. Yeah, and like slashes his neck. And there's one where <laughs> she shoots him or has him shot. Yeah, she has an accomplice that comes in to yeah. shoot him in the back of the head. But the more alarming thing is that as they kind of extrapolate this, they're like, well, if Nishi's dead, he had the contract on him. Which, where's that? Yeah, where's where's, got where's it. that? She must have it. And she's going to know that we're, <laughs> I don't know, Yeah. And it all all starts to collapse down. <laughs> and this is where we get the cops coming in, which is pretty fucking amazing. Um, one of my favorite characters in the whole movie. Yes. yes. Um, Vijay Shanti Naidu. Yes. Naidu is awesome. Played by Radhika Apte. Yep. Uh, to her, everything is kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah. You, you can never tell if she is just like a bumbling cop or like a super like speed chess genius that yeah. is like playing everyone. Right. And I love just how laid back she is, but then yet she'll pop off like one question mm-hmm. and just destroy them. Yeah. And she's like always <laughs> laughing about everything. And it doesn't the, hurt that she is pretty. She's very gorgeous to you. Like everyone in this film is gorgeous to be honest. Yeah, like, what's, what's going on with this? Yeah. The dudes, the chicks, everyone. <laughs> everyone. Um, Even Arvin, man. I mean, for like an old guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's got it going on. <laughs> so Jay mostly keeps his cool, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because, I mean, he has like an ironclad alibi. He, they set that up. Mm-hmm. 
and Naidu almost immediately teases him about it, and she's like, "Oh, your uh, your alibi's a little too tight." Yeah, she's your like, story's too tight. And she's like, "You know, if you uh, were an actual criminal that was trying to do this well, your your story would be a little loose, and it would have room to kind of shake and move and evolve based on what's going on." Yeah, because she's she constantly trying to get him to slip up and say something. <laughs> Um, I think the next big moment is when Arvind receives a parcel yep. at his house. He gets a little package in the mail. They <laughs> say it's a um, it's like a thank you gift from Nishi's funeral, which right. that is a scene we should maybe talk about for a little bit. Mm-hmm. There are some important revelations there because um, amid his paranoia, Jay's trying to comfort Nikki, and she kind of just flat out reveals like I never liked Nishi. Yeah. I kind of hated him. I'm actually yeah. glad he's dead. Right. That's why I'm not crying. Um, <laughs> She's cold, man. And she reveals that he's actually the son from a prior marriage. Right. And then the CEO divorced that woman, and his current wife is Nikki's mother. Yeah, she even says, like, he's not really my brother, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Damn. Yeah. Kind of cold. <laughs> I mean, she was talking about killing the guy, so we're not too surprised. Yeah. Um, and he tries to confront Monica while he's there, but it's very, like near miss because she kind of just like ditches out on him yeah <laughs> but there's a great scene where later Jay notices Arvin's talking to Monica and then he like pulls him into the bathroom to be like what'd you say <laughs> what'd you find out right and he's like oh, nothing really you know and he starts to threaten him to be like hey you, you're not gonna squeal you're not gonna talk because uh-huh. Arvin's getting nervous and being like we should just confess now yeah and it's funny because they think they're alone mm-hmm. and then they go to leave and, like, Naidu's assistant comes out of one of the toilets. Yeah. Just grinning <laughs> ear from ear. And there's, right before that, someone comes in to use the restroom or something, and Arvin immediately starts crying. Yeah. And Jay's trying to console him. <laughs> it's okay. It's going to be all right. Yeah, he's like, oh, he was so close to Nishi, though. <laughs> uh, so Arvin gets his little package, um, which happens to be a cobra. <laughs> yeah. Venomous cobra that kills him. Mm-hmm. And we see Jay also has a similar package when he gets to his house. But he gets it as the news is talking about... I think his sister calls him, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I was like, turn on the news, turn on the news. Because yeah. he doesn't want to at first. Yeah, so he's sitting there with a the box on his lap. <laughs> and he's flipping and he finds it and dead by snake bite. And he looks down at the box and it begins to move. <laughs> and I love it because he throws it away, mm-hmm. but then he trips. Yeah. And falls like face first into it. It's like Indiana Jones, man. Mm-hmm. And then he has like this flashback to when he was a kid. Yeah. He's always had a fear of snakes. Mm-hmm. And he just gets very still. <laughs> and we get the impression that a lot of time has passed. I think it's even like morning or something, yeah. isn't it? It's like he's just sat there still the whole time hoping yeah, and, it'll... And the snake's been there too. And I guess it gets bored eventually. And it just sort of slithers off. Of course, I'm thinking, dude, you still got a fucking cobra in your house. You need to deal with this. I mean, he doesn't really go home that much after this, though. So <laughs> true. It's the cobra's house now. <laughs> I need a new apartment. That's <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> um. So now he's extra suspicious because someone's killed Arvind, and he's clearly next. Yep. And uh, he gets a text with a photo of the contract. Yep. And he follows the text instructions. Um, it says, come to the roof of the factory. Yep. He goes there, and like the contract's sitting there on the side of the building, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes over to get it, and someone comes up from behind him and like picks him up and throws him yeah. over the building. Just chucks him over the side. And you're like, shit. 
<laughs> and this is like one of the best, like the way they tease this out. Because he's mm-hmm. hanging there. He manages to grab the ledge. Yeah, he's, he's he's grabbing the ledge, and the contract is not far from him. It's, it's kind of like, like stuck against the building. Yeah, it's like over and one floor down. Yeah. So we kind of pan out, and we <laughs> see uh, Naidu and her the other cop outside. Yeah. They're like stopping to get a treat or something, right? Yeah. And But in the background, we see him like <laughs> ninja warring over this <laughs> building to try to get to the contract. And, and I will say... It's a, it's a little too long. It's a little too long, but it's also a little goofy because of the music. Yeah. I think the music should have been more serious mm-hmm. because this is a fairly tense scene. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of Hitchcockian, too. And I think th- I think this is one of the few weaknesses of the movie. I think the kind of jaunty music that plays through mm-hmm. most of it kind of undercuts some of the tension. That's fair. Um, but, you know, having said that, it, it you know, like we're pretty sure he's not going to fall, but at the same time... Right. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? Um, but the contract is like blowing around, and it blows down onto the cop's car. <laughs> and uh, he finally scurries down the building, gets over there to it, and grabs it just as they're coming out. Mm-hmm. And he, he, oh yeah, because he wrote bolt, uh, uh, bird shit onto it, and he's like yeah. using the uh, the paper to wipe it off and like crumpling it up so they won't be interested in it because it's covered <laughs> in bird shit. <laughs> um, also in this moment we do see who pitches him over the side oh yeah we do that's right because they reveal they take their mask off they head on and it is uh, Garov that's true yeah they did reveal that I can um, that. which if I can push us back a little bit to Keigo Higashino mm-hmm. that's kind of a trait of a lot of his mysteries is very early on or well before the end you'll know kind of who the killer is mm. and really the mystery is like why they're doing it or how they're doing it Sort of an Argento thing, sometimes and a too. lot of it is like the unraveling of how everything pieces together. Hmm. Cool. So that was some, as someone that knows Higashino's stuff very well. When I got to this scene and we, they show that it's Garov, and I was like, okay, so he's the mastermind mm-hmm. somehow. I was like, I can I can see the uh, Higashino ishness oh, okay. of it. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I was a little puzzled why he was doing that. Maybe just to get rid of rivals, mm-hmm. you know, and because he wants to be, you know higher up in the company too but there's more to it yes there's more and you know what's funny is that I didn't piece it together while I watched it but now that we're talking through it so he rubs bird shit on this and then he eats it yeah he fi- well he looks at it he finds out it's just a photocopy yeah it's just a photocopy but then to fully get rid of the evidence he eats it <laughs> he eats it bro <laughs> yeah find the lighter or something man. <laughs> anyway I mean I guess I'd be anxious to get rid of it too um, and so Jay kind of feels like he's out of options at this point because mm-hmm. he's had two attempts on his life. He still doesn't have the contract. He's still thinking it's Monica. She's got all the cards. Yeah. And so he just kind of is like, I got to go. I got to kill her. Mm-hmm. That's just what it is. Yeah. He goes to her house. And this is like a great, this is like one of the best scenes in the movie. It's a I good think. scene. Yeah. It's a great scene. She's got a baby room already. Yep. And she's like, you're going to pay for it. Like, I'll send you the bill. <laughs> yeah. She's, well, she was getting it like on credit or something for mm-hmm. now. Yeah. <laughs> so it starts with like a little slapping, but it turns into an all-out fucking brawl. Yeah, and it, it's funny because Jay's good at a lot of stuff. He's not the most physically inclined no. individual. No, and, and Monica's tough. You know, she's, <laughs> she's fighting hard, fighting for her life. So it quickly becomes like a life-and-death struggle between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And he has his belt out that he has gotten wrapped around her neck, and he's choking her. 
but then he sees his reflection. Right. He gets to the point where he finally has her pinned. Yeah. He finally is choking her out, and this is like, he can kill her now. Right. And he looks over, and he sees his reflection. He doesn't like who he's become. And it, it kind of breaks him down. Mm-hmm. But there is some interesting dialogue, too, in the build-up to this, where um, she kind of, like, pegs him, like, his personality. And he really doesn't like it, because he basically talks about, like, how he kind of built himself up from nothing, like they were a poor family, and that he worked really hard, he studied really hard, so he could go to a good college and get a good degree and and built all this stuff, and and da-da-da-da-da. And Monica kind of accuses him and is like, you're not that person, you're kind of a con artist just like me. That's just the front that you put out to people. Yeah. But that's your angle. That's your that, story. That's your angle. Yeah. That's your like nice story. And she basically says like you're you're not that talented. You're not that great. Mm-hmm. And it's not that this company wants you because you're something special. They like the story that you have. Yeah. Because your story makes the company look good. Right. Makes the family look good. And in the end, you're kind of just a parasite the same way that I am. Mm-hmm. It's just that I have embraced that, and you <laughs> you deny that. Yep. True. Cuts a little too deep. Yep, but but in that moment he realizes not only is she kind of right, but he also doesn't want to be that person that's mm-hmm. committed murder. Right. So things kind of come down with them, and Monica says that she didn't kill Nishi or Arvind, but it, she says she thinks she knows who did. Yep, and she explains what happens too is that she did get the call from Nishi, mm-hmm. and that she went there. He never showed up. He never showed up. Yep. Um, before she can say anything to him about who she thinks the killer is, who's really behind it, she takes a drink of her wine. I mean, she almost died. It's understandable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Jay's having a little monologue, and he turns around, and she's fucking dead. Yeah, she's foaming at the mouth. Yeah. And then and then he has a new string of oh no's, because oh no one, she's not the killer. Oh no two. She's dead. She's dead. Oh no three. I'm in her fucking apartment. <laughs> I'm in her house. My DNA is everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So it makes a piss poor job of like taking off fingerprints and stuff like that. But you know, he's got prints all over the place. And yeah, probably other things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it comes out later, but uh, when the police investigate, they find out that she was poisoned. Snake venom. Yes. Which probably wouldn't happen. Right. That was in, I don't usually write these in my notes, but like if you go on IMDb, there's like goofs where people point out like mistakes. Yeah, but I, uh, I had heard this before from some show or something, but you're perfectly fine drinking snake venom unless you've got like a cut in your mouth or an ulcer or something. It's got to get into your bloodstream. To right, you. right. Um, but that was on there and I was like, I, I just don't like to talk about those. Like, I guess they're interesting, but. If it's, it could throw me out. It really can, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I guess it is possible to die that way. You know, she was just in a big fight. Yeah. You know, she could have gotten... Bitter she was getting or choked out. Or... Her throat could have gotten, <laughs> you know, lesions or something on it. That's fine. But it's, it's not a good way to kill someone, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It has to be injected. Well. <laughs> um, well. We'll get to the full connecting points, but in the original source material, it was uh, a cyanide capsule. Okay, see, that, that would work. Yes. That would do it. But that, is it enough to throw me out of the movie? No, it, it doesn't ruin anything for me. It's but just, I think here they already had the snake angle, so they had to sure roll with that, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, they're kind of at a dead end. Me being pedantic. Um, meanwhile, this has been going on and off, and they've not really... Um, oh, well, when he's leaving much. her apartment, oh. he makes a crucial error. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember? Because yeah. he bumps yeah. into the old blind lady. Yeah, and he helps her. And she thinks he's someone else. Yeah, she thinks that he's one of the residents of the apartment yeah, complex. Yeah, but he's not saying anything, but he's like getting her glasses for <laughs> her, picking up her cane. 
and he goes off to leave, and she's kind of sniffing. Yeah, she's... Yeah. Uh-oh. File that away for later. Yeah, put a pin in that. Um, <laughs> no, but there's been this side plot that's going on where um, they task Shalu with kind of helping internally investigate Nishi's death. Right. And part of that was her going through all his files, because the first theory they have is that he must have had some kind of gambling debt, because they knew he liked to gamble. And so they think that some kind of like criminal element had him killed over his debts. And so they were trying to track down, like, was he taking company funds or what? Mm-hmm. And so it's put Shalu on this path of, like, going through all his documents, all his records. And this is kind of the next thing we pick up on is that in the course of doing that, she found a file that he kind of kept separate. And it was about that death from the opening of the film. Dev, yes. Yeah, Dev's uh, murder by the robo-arm. Yes. Um, and it seems that Nishi suspected that there was foul play of some kind, and they kind of covered it up. Mm-hmm. And kind of what Jay finds out is he starts to go down that path. Because isn't it first that Shalu kind of gets mad at him? Because when you look at the investigation, it suggests that the problem was... Jay's technology. The OS was like messed up and it malfunctioned. Yeah. And so she concludes that Jay murdered her fiancé. Right. And is really upset at him. And then he's like, how could this happen? Mm -hmm. So then he takes the file and starts to like run through everything. And then that's when he pieces together... That what actually happened is like this happened. They assumed it was his fault, and the CEO covered everything up and blamed Verity. Uh, yes, and fired him over it mm-hmm. because he didn't want to lose Jay and his right his story technically. But very, very dishonest doings. Mm-hmm. Who ever thought a corporation could be so dishonest and cover things up? And this is where we get a little bit of empathy for Jay because he does seek out Verity to mm-hmm. apologize to him. Yep. Because if if nothing else can go right at this point, he's at least gonna. Kind of make that right, I guess. Yeah. And he lets him know that he figured out what happened, and he apologized, and immediately Faridi's like, no, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. It can't be your fault. It wasn't an accident. <laughs> it was an accident. It was not murder. at all. And he says that he knows that there's someone manually overrided the automation and took control of the robot. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't know who. Right. Because the logs were deleted. Yep. And so, excitedly, Jay goes back to Shalu to let her know. Mm-hmm. And he kind of boasts at this point. He's like, hey, I'm a genius. Mm-hmm. I can hack into my own thing and recover all the deleted logs. Right. And Garov, Garov is, is there, there the yeah, entire yeah. time. And he's like, oh, I'll come with you and help. He's like, he's like oh, that sounds really important. Let me come help you. <laughs> <laughs> I love the scene of them driving to the factory. They're on their little, like, bike. Mm-hmm. And Garov's just, like, holding on to him. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell he's got this sinister look on his face, uh-huh. and Jay is just none the wiser. And they stop at one point while a traveling group of, of priests, I suppose, mm, yeah, yeah, come by chanting. Yeah, because he pulls out a razor, and he's going to kill Jay yeah. in that tunnel. But he's yeah. interrupted by these chanters, and they're saying things <laughs> like how, you know, they're, they're, they're not long for this world, they're going to be reincarnated, and things like that. And... Jay and Garof give like passing bows and stuff like mm, that, but you can yeah. tell they don't take it that seriously. <laughs> but there, there's been a few points throughout the movie where we hear a little bit about karma mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Which again, because the Ludo vibes. Yeah. Just file that away for later. Um, and you know, I just love the flow of the film too, where it's like, the, it'll be kind of poppy and, you know, fast and fun. Then you'll get this really tense moment and then they kind of smash it up with something funny happening. Right. And it makes a good like flow, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they finally get into the factory. Um, Jay discovers he's digging in there, and he figures out that it was Garof. 
who killed Dev. <laughs> and Grov sticks up behind him, right, and yep. whacks him with something, a wrench. Yeah, it's I a big wrench. It yeah. And then he throws him in that robot ring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he's trying to use the big arm to kill him just like he did Dev. So Jay is kind of dodging around and fighting this big Doc Ock arm. And during that fight, that's where Garov confesses to everything. Yeah, he's explaining. He, he, he's monologuing. He's talking yep. about everything that happened. Because the final piece of the puzzle is that Nishi pieced together that Garov was the one that killed Dev. Because he was there that night. Yeah, he saw, he everything. saw everything. But he wanted to sabotage Jay. Mm-hmm. And so he decided to cover it up and keep his secret. But also that gave him leverage over Garov and he would kind of uh, I guess, like, boss him around. Do all of his dirty work. Yeah. And the straw that broke the camel's back was that Nishi actually wasn't filling up to killing Monica, and so he was going to get Garov to do it. Yep. And he had, like, he had Garov place the cameras in Monica's apartment. And yeah, to get the like videos that. of uh, yeah. Jay hooking up with her. Yeah, so Garov decides, I'm not going to do this, I can't do this, and kills Nishi. Yep. He even, I like how he frames it, too. He's like, if I have to kill someone anyways... Mm-hmm. I might as well kill Nishi. Yeah, this piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it was Nishi's body wrapped in the yellow tarp. But then that's how Garov got the contract, because of course he searched the body. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of been this secret uh, fourth player Indeed, in this game. behind the scenes. And then we get a callback from the very beginning of the movie. Yes. When Jay's using his watch to control the robots, because he does the same thing here with the arm. Mm-hmm. And has it come down and grab Garov's head and twist it, just like he had done to Dev. Yep. So the bad guy's dead. Yeah, the comeuppance. This is usually when the movie would have a nice happy ending, right? Yep. However, there's one little loose strand left still because Garov never really talked about killing Monica. Right. And Jay just sort of assumes that he did. But we find out that's actually not the case mm-hmm. because uh, Naidu gets back in the picture and she has cracked the case. Yep. And she has this press conference and reveals that Monica's killer was Tamong Rana, who we've not really talked about. I mean, he's in the whole film. He's kind of a background but, player for most of the time. Uh, he's played but, by Shiva Rendani. Yeah, big, tough-looking dude. He's got a good look. He was one of the people that, I think it was Arvand mentioned him when they were plotting Monica's murder. He said, why don't we get this guy to do it? He's yeah. like a gangster. Yeah, he'll, he'll kill anyone. Yeah. Um, we've mostly seen him be kind of like a right-hand man to the CEO. Mm-hmm. He was one of the people that could have got promoted, but didn't. Yeah. They say he's the father of her unborn child, mm-hmm. and that he committed suicide due to the guilt he felt for the murder. So our last scene is they're having like a little uh, prayer ceremony for Monica mm-hmm. to kind of lay everything to rest. And Naidu lays everything out for Jay. Yep. Well, it's interesting because he talks to uh, the CEO first, mm-hmm. and the CEO is kind of being suggestive, and he's like, you know, you'll you'll get used to our family and the way we do things. Yeah. Um, but this is all over now and behind us, and you should just not think about it anymore. Sometimes right. you don't need to know all the details. Right. And he's like, but I want to know. Mm-hmm. And so Naidu decides to throw him a bone and is like, look, I'll explain all of this to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is what, Jason? That. Monica's baby daddy is the CEO of Unicorn. Yes. So soon to be father-in-law. Yep, and in response to her blackmailing him, he ordered Tamang to poison Monica's wine. Yep. Using the, the story of the snake murder on mm-hmm. Arvind as a screen 
that would link the two murders. And then Naidu killed Tamang to silence him. Mm-hmm. Because what we learn is that Naidu is kind of on the CEO's payroll. Payroll, yep. She's a crooked cop. And she will cover up anything and everything as long as the cash keeps coming in. Mm-hmm. And she even kind of suggests that later when Jay sort of moves up and takes on the company more, she'll be happy to work with him yep. too. Yep. Great little final twist. It is. On everything. It's nice. It's also interesting that before, when we thought she was the good cop, she's dressed like in jeans and shirts yeah. and stuff. And when she reveals herself to be the bad person, she's just very traditional. Yeah. You know. Because she has the vibe that, like, even though this is a prayer ceremony, you could see her still showing up in, like, jeans and a shirt. Right. Yeah. But she's not. Because it's like, now she's, like, on on the payroll, yeah. in a way. Right. And not just acting. It's interesting. Um, we also get a little denouement to everything with Nikki, because seemingly he's kind of got away scot-free. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you know, I do like it, too. Before the final act there where he pieces everything together, he is at first writing the email to Nikki. Right. And he was going to, like, admit to everything and apologize and just, like, leave town. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he gets the hook with Faridi, and that chains everything off. But <laughs> after um, Naidu reveals everything, we have a final little scene where Nikki's like, oh, here's my cousin Vinny. Yeah, he's like, who? <laughs> uh, I wanted you to finally meet her. And he's like, yeah, who? Yeah. <laughs> and she gets real mad at him real quick. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, right. Now you're gonna, yeah. But there's one loose strand. Where is the contract, the original contract? Yep, he never found it. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go to Garov's house. It's probably there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Ransack it, find it, destroy it. He finds some drawers behind uh, hung pictures on the wall, starts digging through those, finds it. Takes it out. It is the original. Yep. He he starts to burn it, and as it burns, you see that he's relieved. This is finally all behind him. No one can catch him now. No one knows anything. It's all laid to rest. But off behind him in the shadows, you see this <laughs> fucking cobra coming out of one of the other drawers he had opened. And he sees it, and he's like freezing, and then another one's coming out from the other side. And the document burns all the way, and then it cuts to black. Yep, because it, it is dark in the room too. I like so he's yeah. like creeping around with a match. Yeah, that was the only light source. And then he the burns burning. up the paper, and then he gets cast into darkness. Mm-hmm. Which they also we didn't talk about it because it's such a throwaway scene. But um, when they're investigating the snake murder, they do find the guy that had the snakes, mm-hmm. and he talks about how like they were stolen from him. Right, and he mentions there's multiple ones. Uh huh. So that kind of is like a little setup for that. That's right. Yeah. So it's like Garof took these and was then stashing them. <laughs> In his house. <laughs> Crazy. This is a dangerous fucking city. There's like three or four houses now that are just... <laughs> covered in cobras. Covered in cobras. <laughs> yeah. I hate so to be a realtor. He does not get away with his crime. Well, we don't really know, do we? That's true. I, I, I'm i pretty sure he gets bit and dies. <laughs> but, you know. But, but he, he's got to pay for it, right? Because all this talk of karma mm-hmm. and reincarnation and paying for your sins and stuff like that that we've gotten throughout the movie... Here it is, you know. Yeah. It's cool. It's a cool ending. It is a cool ending. It really like, like it. ties everything up well, too. So I think I think in an American film, we would have... We do have some sympathy for Jay. He's not a mm. monster. Right. But he does, he does agree to murder somebody. He does come damn close to killing Monica. Yeah. You know? He's cheating on his fiance, which <laughs> is that a murderable offense? No, but it's not good. Right. But in an American film, he'd probably get away with it. Oh, we forgive you. It's okay. Blah, 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 blah. No, 
No. <laughs> He's got to pay for it here. There's that comeuppance. Yep. It's cool. Cool cool little ending to a cool little film. Yeah. I guess a part of me, just just because it's Rao, man, I love him. I, I want him to go on, but yeah, mm-hmm. he, he probably dies. He probably dies. <laughs> dies horribly and slowly. So, I guess before we get deeper into our thoughts on the film, mm-hmm. now let me sidetrack us onto a bunch of craziness. Do it. So, yeah, we said this was based on a novel by Keigo Higashino, and I, and I referred to him as the uh, the god of mysteries. So let me talk about him a little bit, because he's an interesting person. And if you're a film person like we are, mm-hmm. there's a lot of movies that have been made out of his works. Yeah. So uh, Keigo Higashino was born February 4th, 1958. He's a Japanese author, chiefly known for the genre of mysteries. Uh, he served as the 13th president of Mystery Writers of Japan from 2009 to 2013. It's a little like a president for that. It's a society for mystery writers in Japan. Um, He's won major Japanese awards for many of his books, and over twenty of his works have been adapted into films or TV projects. Um, Early in the eighties, he was working as an engineer for a while. He married a high school teacher. He would write on kind of the weekends and the evenings in his free time as a hobby, Um, and he would submit uh, unpublished mystery novels to this thing they had called the Edagawa Rampo Prize. And this was this yearly contest where you could submit mystery stories um, and they would pick a winner and kind of then like promote them. I, I was about to mention Edagawa Rampo. Yes. Um, of course, uh, I guess the brief thing on him, because we don't want to spend forever on this, but no. he's sort of the Japanese Edgar Allan Poe. He wrote like thrilling tales and mysteries mm-hmm. and a little bit of horror, a little bit of, of weirdness and right. great fucking author. A lot of his stuff has been translated into English. A lot of great films based on his works. Mm-hmm. It's a fun fun road to run down. Uh, he was a big influence on Higashino, but um, in 1983, Higashino won the prize. And so then in 1984, that submission reached um, the final round of the contest. And then, um, so, oh yeah, so it was 83 he was in consideration. 84 he got to the final round, and then 85 he won the prize. Uh, for a novel called Hokago, which means after school. And it was kind of based on his wife's occupation as a school teacher and involved a school teacher being embroiled in a murder mystery among mm. the students there. And it was a big hit, got a lot of acclaim around it, and so he resigned from his engineering job in 86, moved to Tokyo, and started working as a full-time writer. Cool. Um, let's see, 1998. This is just hitting some highlights. He published Tamitsu or Secret, and that got converted into a feature film that won the 52nd Mystery Writers of Japan Award for feature film adaptations. Uh, That later got translated into English and uh, was published in 2004. And actually, a lot of his works have been published in English. So if you you check out this film and you dig it, like the story and the underpinning of it all, and you're like like us, you like to read a little bit sometimes too. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely go look up his novels because they're they're great, man. Cool, I love them. I've read a bunch of them. Nice. Um. So let's see. There was that. Um. And then that that same thing, Himitsu. Um. It got some remakes in other countries. There was an English language French remake titled "The Secret" that actually starred David Duchovny that adapted the plot. Um, okay. 
He won many more awards on and on and had many more film adaptations. I'm not going to delve into all of them, but just to hit a few highlights that I personally enjoy a lot. Probably his most enduring, like, series. A lot of his novels are kind of just standalone, uh, but he does have a few, like, you know, consecutive series. And the one he's really known for and kind of attached to is Detective Galileo. Now, this has actually had copies translated into English. Uh, I think the first book is called The Devotion of Suspect X. That sounds like an anime right there. Was it ever turned into an anime? It was turned into a live-action TV drama. Okay. Um, and the TV drama was so popular that it then spawned several theatrical films. And it's actually still kind of going on. Hmm. They hadn't had one for a while, and I noticed they just adapted the most recent novel in Japan as a theatrical film, like 2022, I want to say. Hmm. So yeah, it's, it's still kicking. Wow. Uh, great little series. It's basically about some police detectives in Tokyo... And they are dealing with these murder mysteries they have to try to solve. And it's always like, you'll obviously know the killer or suspect the killer, but they don't know how they did the crime. And with no one else to consult, they go speak to this um, professor at a university named um, Manabu Yukawa, or they nickname him Galileo, because he's like super, super ultra nerd. Mm. And they basically draft him in on questions of like, would it be possible for this to happen? Hmm. And then he will get interested and then join them in the investigation and kind of do like science experiments along the way to figure out how the murder happened, which in each scenario is like the missing piece of the puzzle to make the arrest and chain everything off. Cool. Very interesting, very engaging. The drama is amazing. If you like TV mystery drama Mm -hmm. at all, Um, films are great. It's awesome series. If you love mysteries, um, a few of his other things. Earlier this year, I watched two films that were a little series together called Masquerade Hotel and Masquerade Night. And they were both these premises of like a major police sting to try to catch a criminal. But it happens at like a very grand, luxurious five-star hotel during like a big event. And it's it's almost like, I hate to make this reference, but it's the most apt one. So I guess I'm going to do it. It's very Knives Out feeling because it has a very like poppy mystery vibe to Dude, it. Knives Out rules. Um, and it's very much like half the time it's this murder mystery, but then half the time it's like hotel life and what it's like to work in a hotel and keep everything running and moving yeah, and watch cater that. to the guests. And I, it's, I worked in too many hotels. Uh, it's super interesting, super fun, both really great. And then uh, just because we are our genre fanatics here, he also wrote Laplace's Witch which is a really interesting mystery thriller novel that got adapted in 2018 to film, directed by Takashi Miike. Yeah. Now, it's not his usual, like, gore fare, but right. it's pretty good. Okay. Sweet. So how does this adaptation compare to... Yes, um, let me get into this. no Shinzu. Yes, so I, I watched this, I tracked it down. I, it seemed apt because I was so jazzed about the film, I was like, I have to know mm-hmm. <laughs> the differences. So I, I wrote some quick notes as I watched this other adaptation. Uh, and these just hit some high points. So our lead in this one, he's much more sinister and very ambitious about rising to power. Mm. He doesn't have the like backstory of like, I was from a poor family and I just tried to better myself. He has this very like tragic backstory of like his mom died in a freak accident. And then his dad became this like belligerent drunk that beat him. Mm. And he kind of just became like detached from the world. And was like, I just need power to protect myself. And he's kind of obsessed with just like climbing and gaining more power and doing everything he can. Makes sense. Um, Sounds like my latest D&D character. 
Oh, <laughs> oh shit. Better, better warn your party then. Oh, no, they don't need to know. Um, and they kind of set up a metaphor very early on that the reason he went into robotics and why he loves them so much is because people will betray you, but robots can't. Because you can program them and have complete control over them. Makes sense. Um, has a lot of the same, like, I would say 80% of the plot is beat for beat the same. It has the same cold open mm-hmm. with the death in the factory. It opens on that party. There, there's the affair. There's big musical number. <laughs> there's no big new musical number. It's much more subdued sure. and not as like poppy. M- much and, more Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because I think it was like seven minutes shorter than Monica, but it felt like double the length. Oh, really? It had such a slow pace to yeah. it. Um, some, some interesting differences. So the CEO's daughter, she's not engaged to him at the start. Um, and she's actually kind of disinterested. Like her, her dad is like, hey, you should maybe marry this guy because he's going to rise up in the company and it would mm-hmm. be good for us. It would look good for the family. And then she's like, uh, I want to marry whoever I want. Right. And so kind of in the early part before this murder stuff kicks off, there's a lot of him like trying to charm her and like get in with her, which is implied as he's specifically doing that to marry into the family. Right. So it's much more like targeted. Yeah. Um, and it, that made me too think about like some cultural things like arranged marriages aren't so common in Japan compared to like India. Right. Like it does still happen, but... Sure. It, it seems so natural in Monica mm-hmm. that like he was rising in the company and then like the, the father kind of arranged right. them together. Yeah. Um, so the, the Shalu character, the one who's the secretary to our lead, um, she's very different. She's not related to the lead at all. And she's just his secretary. That's mm-hmm. it. There's no real connection between the two of them, okay. which kind of made it weaker. Right. In a way. Yeah. Because you get you get so much mileage and Monica out of that of that like there's more the, drama. There's more yeah. drama. The fact that she thinks that Jay is responsible for fiance's death mm-hmm. and um, it puts him closer to Garav because it implies that like Garav was trying to make nice with Jay because he wanted to be with Shalu. Then it kind of makes a nice little circle to right. everything. Um, so instead, it's just she's a random secretary, and the the Garav of the plot is implied to be her childhood friend. And that's kind of their backstory for like why he's obsessed with her. Is like they grew up together, and he always assumed they would end up together. Mm, right. But then she fell for this other guy. Um, our Monica in the story is a woman named Yasuko, and she pretty much has the exact same personality. She's pretty much like there's no real major differences there with her. Okay. Um, her death though, it is presented like she committed suicide with a cyanide capsule. Mm-hmm. They kind of pull out the whole snake angle completely. Right. Um, the death for the Arvin character is weird because it's like, it's the same thing of a funeral gift, but he gets sent a fountain pen and it's the kind you have to like draw the ink up into it. Mm -hmm. And there's like a little capsule inside so that when the ink hit it, it like breaks the capsule and then like emits this gas Hmm, that kills him. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and we get, there's like a little subplot about like the nature of like the elites versus the poor. And that there's the poor and they can never like reach the level of the elites. Right. And um, the Garov character even says this at one point. He says, um, at this company, the elites prioritize robots over humans. To them, the workers are just consumables, ready mm-hmm. to be replaced. Yeah. Which could be a criticism of the whole caste system. Yeah. Which I think there's less of that in Monica. It's, it's there for sure. But, it's, it's subtext. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> it's not so overt. Um, there's a bunch of like subtle differences with their plan. So in uh, Monica, we have this whole like poker chip thing and like the different card titles. They use cards, actual like playing cards mm-hmm. to do their setup. 
but they divide it as person A, person B, person C. And they connect that to like card number one, card number two, card number three. Um, but it makes this interesting subplot with the Nishi character where after he's dead and they're trying to like unravel everything and the lead starts looking into him, they find out that he was like a card shark and knew all these card tricks. Oh, yeah. And it kind of implies that he like set them up. Knew what they would be picking. When they did the draws because he had a book about how to trick people and do like card tricks and illusions and stuff. Right. So it kind of implies that he like pre-picked their roles. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't go anywhere, but it's an interesting subplot. So, uh, the killer's a little more like the Grov character. He's a little more at the lead. Mm-hmm. He sends them a lot of texts, and once he reveals he has the contract, because that part's still the same, um, he gives himself the moniker of D, because he's the fourth man in their plan that they didn't know about. Which is kind of cool, but again, it's like another, like, it doesn't really build anything. Yeah. Um... After the Monica character dies, the cops kind of dig up her backstory. Um, And it turns out that uh, when she was a little girl, her father was a high school teacher. And he got involved with one of his students. And it became this extortion scam because she got pregnant. And in the end, it got revealed and came out. And it actually ruined their family and they went bankrupt. And then the Monica character kind of had to struggle and claw her way back up in society to become Mm -hmm. the secretary at this company. Okay. So it kind of implies that like she's repeating right. what she's seen. Mm-hmm. Don't know what you think of that. Whatever. It's this or that. Um, the cops are very different because there's none of the, they're in with the company stuff going on. It's more just like they're kind of standard, like perceptive cops. Right. Okay. Um, they play up being bumbling, but it's to like trick this him. Disarm yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and then, so we, we get to the end, and we get to this whole thing of, like, he, he pieces together, he can go, like, research and find out who it is. And they play it where he does that part without Garov being there. And then he contacts him and is like, hey, I know that you were the one that killed the guy. I know you're, the, you're this D person. Come meet me at the factory. We need to have this out. And so then before the Garov character goes to meet him, he sends a text to the secretary and confesses everything to her. And it's straight out like, I, I killed your fiance. I've loved you all this time. I, I know it was wrong. Blah, 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 blah. Mm. And so she rushes off to the factory to confront him. Because mm. he says, I'm going to the factory right. to confront the lead character. So the end is where we go way different from Monica. And this is kind of where like, I guess you have to make your own judgment on this. But um, we get a bunch of backstory on the Garov character where he reveals that he's kind of been forced into this job where he works night shifts at this factory and he has no one to talk to and he's always around robots all the time. And then he had to endure the thing of they hired a new employee that he thought would be his friend and then he got in with the secretary and he watched his childhood crush slowly drift away from him and fall in love with this other guy Mm. and get engaged to him. And then um, there's another subplot to it where um, the coworker guy, he gets approved to transfer out of their job and get one of the nice office jobs where he has like a normal schedule and it's going to get paid more. And that's like what makes the the killer snap is that he's like, I'll never get out of this situation and you're taking everything from me. Okay. Um, and he even says like, I feel like I started to become a machine and all I could do was follow my program. And my program was that I had to kill whoever was in my way. Hmm. So, that sounds like a gentle dialogue right a, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then it's the same thing as that, like, uh, the Nishi character found out about it, 
was trying to use that to, to blackmail the lead and all that sort of stuff. And, um, that was like, he, instead of, um, he, he snaps because he's like, Oh, you need to kill the Monica character for me. And then he's like, I realized in that moment that I had become a machine for him just taking his orders. Mm. And so he like snaps and kills him instead. Okay. Um, so here's our big finale. He confronts the killer. They have this whole back and forth. Um, you find out that the Garov character knew that the CEO was the father of Monica's pregnancy. And so they get into a big fight. And then ultimately the lead gets the upper hand and gets this like metal rod and like beats the Garov character almost to death. Mm-hmm. And so then the love interest arrives. She's read this text confession and she comes to confront them and be like, what's going on? And she gets into this like philosophical back and forth with the lead character where she basically says that um, in a way she kind of like understands the Garov character and what he did, even though of course she's upset about it. And she's like, but I pity you because um, you're unable to trust people completely. And mm. there's like no way to recover or come back from that. And he kind of goes on this whole like megalomaniac rant about how he's going to like take over the company and control everything and be all powerful and be unstoppable. And, right. and he goes on his whole thing about like, Oh, robots are perfection. And that's, that's the future. And they'll never betray you. Like people will. Mm-hmm. And da, 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 da. And so kind of out of nowhere, he decides he needs to kill her because she's going to pin the Garov character's death on him. Okay. Cause she came in and saw it happening. And so he starts to try to choke her out. And as she's about to lose consciousness, she starts to cry out for her mother. And that makes him remember his mother's death and he gets all upset. And so then he kind of flips out and is like tearing through the lab and like knocking stuff over. And he's like, how did this happen? Where did I go wrong? Right. Uh, And he gets near Brutus, which that was the star robot of his. And it's very oh, different. Okay. It's not like the big robot the arm. Okay. It's more like this weird, like almost like robotic body that's got two little arms on it. Okay. And it almost has a weird, like little, like 2001 face, <laughs> like visor screen thing. Okay. And so he stumbles into Brutus and Brutus kind of puts its hand on his shoulder. And it almost goes like full horror film because Brutus like activates and picks him up and lifts him into the air and starts to choke him out. And um, you realize that what's happened is that the Garov character is barely hanging on and barely alive. And when he saw the lead choking out his love interest, the secretary, he like crawled over to the manual controls and activated Brutus. Mm-hmm. And when he drifted near it, he did that to like stop him. Okay. And so our final scene is Brutus like hoisting the lead up into the air and choking him out until he dies. And then it's kind of just a final static shot on him, like just swinging in the arms of Brutus. Okay. And that's the end of that. So which one do you prefer? Save this audio because you will rarely hear this from me, but I think Monica Oh My Darling is better. Okay. I think that... Better than a Japanese film. Folks, you heard it here first. I think it pulled out like the interesting parts of that concept and kind of streamlined it. Mm Mm-hmm. And with what they removed, they injected a lot of, like, Indian culture in there in, like, a meaningful way. Right. Yeah. Whereas in, in Brutus's heart, it was very, like, the, the lead was never likable, so you didn't have, like, a through line in some degree. And it felt like the secretary kind of should have been the main characters in some ways, but she was, like, barely focused on 
even less than in Monica in some ways. But then she was kind of supposed to be the focus at the end. But it's like they had never reached that point. Right. So I don't know. Okay. Uh, the novel was from 1989, so it was one of his earlier works. So I don't know. I just don't really know what to conclude about it. Okay. I don't know. You've only got my explanation of it, so do you have any thoughts? Plot-wise, Monica sounds a lot better. Yeah. It, it, just, it, it just I felt very, like... It sounds more engaging and interesting and... I felt very dissatisfied at the end because it was like, what was... What was the thing of this? Is like the the lead died. That never went anywhere. I guess maybe the secretary and the other dude can be together, but it's like, would you want to be with him right. when you know what he's done? And yeah, uh, the the fate of the company's up in the air, and it doesn't sound as satisfying. Yeah, it just kind of reached a conclusion and was like, okay, we're done. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> oh well. Which I mean, I'm cool with movies that don't have you know a full resolution. Sure, but. You need something. Right. A little bit more than that. Like, like in a lot of David Lynch films, like you'll get to the end and be like, what the fuck just happened? But you still feel satisfied, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And in this instance, uh, Brutus's heart didn't leave me feeling satisfied with mm. everything I had gone through to get to that point. Right. Okay. Whereas with Monica, I, I both felt satisfied and also left me with stuff to think about. Well, how do you feel about Monica, oh my darling? Shall we give our we, we should. Um, or do you have something else to add? Here's some fun background notes. I don't have many more. I think okay. we hit them all. Uh, the screenplay, when they wrote it, was inspired by Sriram Raghavan's neo-noir action thrillers. Hmm. Don't know that person. I'll have to look into it. Um, I'm sure if you're more steeped in Indian cinema than us, you probably recognize that name. Mm-hmm. And so, from one of the films, though, an important scene from Johnny Goddard is seen on the TV in the background in one scene. So, it's again, that's kind of that Tarantino-esque. Yeah, a little bit of... Uh, love to our inspirations. References thrown in there. Um, you know. Upon release, it was a Netflix debut kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And it got very... It's a Netflix fun. original. <laughs> yeah, it's a Netflix original. Which I like that they're funneling money into, like, Indian cinema and... Yeah. Other, yeah, other areas and Something stuff. Something different. Um... It got very positive reviews, and it became the most viewed Indian film at that time. Wow, cool! It's pretty oh, cool. Another Tarantino uh, influence I wanted to point out were, were are the titles themselves. Oh yeah, they're, they're very yeah, uh, like Jackie Brown or yeah, Pulp the, Fiction, the big looking. like pop art block yeah. letters. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I've been talking so so much. So I'm gonna let you go first okay. on this one. All right. Um. Yeah. Uh, much to my delighted surprise, I actually really like. The movie a lot. I was expecting to have to walk in here and like fight for this movie. <laughs> you don't have to fight, sir. <laughs> you do not have to fight. It won me over. Um, and I'm kind of glad I just stopped taking notes and just watched. It's a very like it's an experience. Mm-hmm. It's a good experience. All the actors are very good. They're all very charismatic. They all play their parts well. Uh, it's funny. It's not. I mean, it has those, and this is going to sound, I don't know. Uh, being an Indian film, of course, it has those cultural influences, everything. But I also mm-hmm. think that it's, it appeals to everyone, no matter what your background. I think anyone yeah. from anywhere can get into this movie, you know, and know what's going on and not be put off by any sort of cultural idiosync- idiosyncrasies that you might 
sometimes be yeah, put off by. Because I will say for Ludo, you kind of did need to know a little bit about the game and why it's important right. in their culture. Right. Which I knew because I went crazy about that movie and looked it up. <laughs> but I remember both you and Michael were kind of like, meh. Yeah, right. And you, you had to know those like religious characters and stuff that were kind of like the, the through line. Mm-hmm. And speaking of games, I don't think we ever see anyone playing it in the movie, but it's used prominently in the poster art, uh, Snakes and Ladders. Oh, yeah. Which is an ancient Indian game. And, and then we have the stakes in the film. And it's all about <laughs> teaching morality. Mm. You know, it's all about, uh, let's see. Which this is definitely a moral play in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Associated with Hindu philosophy contrasting karma and kama, or destiny and desire. So once those snakes started popping up, I'm like looking in my head, I'm like, were there ladders in this movie? Were there a lot of ladders? <laughs> um, well, there's a social ladder. Yeah, there's of, a social ladder. From, sure. from the peons in the company up to the CEO. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, true. Uh, we see Naidu playing the game at some point. I don't think it's snakes and, ladder, or, uh, snakes and ladders, but she's playing oh, yeah, something. yeah, it's a weird, like, it might be snakes it has, and ladders. It like, a little I don't ball know. or yeah. something. It's when they're talking to the guy that owned the snakes. Yeah. Yeah. So that could be like a variation of it or, or, or something like it. I'm you not got sure. Got the Mike hit in. Yeah. Yeah. Michael would be proud. <laughs> <sighs> I got to stop flailing my arms around. Um, you get excited and I love it. <laughs> but it's a fun movie. It's fast paced. You don't get bored. Um, it's intricate without being annoying or losing you at any moment. It's easy to follow mm-hmm. while still being interesting visually and from a storytelling perspective um the music for the most part that they use is, is good i do wish some of those more tense scenes add more serious music that's a minor nitpick yeah um man the, the main like title song though was a bop it was it was a i'm bop. sure it's it, on youtube i'm gonna put it in the notes it got in my head for yeah. a little while after watching that one <laughs> Especially there's like the one little part, which is like the people kind of chanting. Yeah. And they layer it under a lot of like the driving scenes. Right. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm into this. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I was I was surprised. I'm happy. And it makes me want to give more Indian films a chance, which is a good thing. Yeah, um, I definitely hit Letterboxd and started looking like, what else has this director done? Yeah, look at what else has this director done. Look at some of these actors, see what else they've been in. Um, at the end of the day... I would give it four stars. Hmm. Okay. Well, again, I said I thought I was going to have to come here and defend this against your your hate of Indian cinema, but it seems like it's flipped you a little bit. It's a little strong. But but also, my portion I've digested (laughs) is quite small. Quite small. And when uh, when like 33% of that is 13B. (laughs) Okay. Well, so the visuals are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. You've, you've said that I can't underline it enough like right. editing is fantastic editing is great there's so many amazing shots and like interesting lighting or camera angles or like the way they'll play out a scene mm-hmm. uh, there's all kinds of kinetic movement I loved a lot of the shots of like Jay just running in the yeah. streets like trying to make it somewhere in time um, it really makes you feel like you're in that moment right with him and you're mm-hmm. just you're just gunning it going gunning along to the next like beat of the story uh, score is incredible love the music yeah Again, that title song is so good. And, and again, the more you go in the film and the, the, the more dire the situation gets, the more it stops being fun and it starts to become ominous. Right. I think there's that part where uh, he takes a cab to get back after he drops the body. Mm-hmm. And the cabbie turns on the radio and it's that song. And he's immediately right. like, hey, turn that off. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to hear that. Karma. It's coming to get you. It's a bitch. Yep. Um. Loved the performances, especially um, 
Radhika as Naidu. Yeah, she's great. She, she steals the movie. She steals the scenes, yeah. man. And I'm about to see what else she's in because if she's the lead in anything, I would, be, of, I would be interested yeah, to see. She's a lot of fun. Yeah, she's a ton of fun. Um, and she writes this perfect line between being like ultra competent mastermind and then like bumbling detective. Mm-hmm. And it makes that final twist that she was in on it all from the start just yeah. so good. Because she's just fucking with him the entire time. That's just one of those like fucking brilliant. Yeah. Moments of writing a story. That's why she's laughing so much. <laughs> yeah. She's just fucking with them. You go back to every other scene, <laughs> and it's like, oh, it explains everything in this way that like it adds another layer to it all. Yeah. And I'd actually be interested to watch this one again, now mm-hmm. that I kind of know the twist, just to like see yeah. like the seeds along the way now. If there's any hints or anything. Um, Love Rao. I can watch him in anything. If he helms a movie, I'll watch it just like flat yeah, out. I don't care what it's about. Good. Um, he seems pretty popular from my cursory searches. I'm not so surprised. Well deserved. Um, comparing it to the Japanese movie, like I said, I think that uh, this one kind of improved on everything. Mm. Um, now, some of it you got to be fair because that other one's a TV movie, so it has sure. a much lesser budget. Limitations. But, but just in like story and narrative and like ideas, mm-hmm. uh, I think this like chipped out the stronger concept in the end. Yeah. It's a great example of a different culture taking something and making it their own, putting right. their own spin on it. It's like they, they hold up a mirror and then they echo it mm-hmm. through their experiences. Yeah. And then the output is something even more interesting, yeah. which is awesome. I fucking love that. Yeah, same you here. look at all these American remakes of Japanese horror films. That's almost shot for shot and, and boring. Yeah, they're just and... boring, pathetic. They didn't try to do anything. Or they changed the wrong thing. You yeah. Know? And just made it not even what it was mm-hmm. and what like what was special about it. And I think, like, with Monica Oh My Darling, it kept what was important or special with the original story. But it did kind of just reflect it through another culture yeah, in a way that's interesting. Made, and that's, it, made it their own. That's super cool. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I love about film is that it kind of give you, like, windows into that. Oh, yeah. Um, that you'd never have before. Um... Yeah, so in the end, I loved it. Uh, I also gave it four stars. Whoa. Super solid. Yeah, the only things I would dock it on is, like, I think some scenes are a little too long that could have been tightened up, but... Yeah. I mean, it's it's very minor. Mo- most of my issues are pretty nitpicky. Yeah. Um, I, I teetered back and forth between just bumping it on up to five, so... Mm. I'm comfortable at four. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> um, yeah, so Monica, oh my darling... It's on Netflix. You can go watch it right fucking now. If you've never seen an Indian movie, I think this is a really good place to start. Mm-hmm. As long as you like neo nor crime comedy thrillers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you dig Tarantino movies, at least the more lighthearted aspects of them, yeah. I think you would really dig this. Or if you like uh, Coen Brothers movies, that sort of thing, you know. And uh, thank you, AJ, for sending this one to us. Yeah, good pick, man. Great fucking pick. Mm-hmm. I say it every time, but our listeners have the best taste. They do. I continue to be impressed every time. Because um, our taste is so good. I believe he left us another one, so we'll file that away and get to it yeah. down the road sometime. Maybe it'll be as good. Hopefully. I think it's another Indian film. So Sweet. We shall I, see. I appreciate that our listeners are expanding our yeah, give us our knowledge and our experiences. Different cultures and stuff. Yeah, it's great. Super fucking cool. And hey, if you have a movie that you champion or you really love, yes. send it to us. Just say, hey, you guys should check this movie out. I think it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whether it's one you love, one you think that needs more attention, or you just want to fucking troll us and send yeah. us something really weird. You know, make us suffer. I think we finally got a weird one. We got a couple that's going to make us suffer <laughs> when we get around to them. We'll get there. Um, and eventually, when I sort out all of the 
the processes for this. We are gonna if we if we cover your movie, we're gonna mail you a super cool genre exposure sticker. Yeah. If you want one, totally want voluntary. One. I'll be in contact at some point through our social medias mm-hmm, to get mm-hmm. addresses and plot that out. Or P.O. boxes. P.O. boxes, However whatever. you feel comfortable receiving the sticker. We'll send it anywhere. <laughs> um, but if you're not comfortable, that's cool. Mm-hmm, totally fine. Mm-hmm. If you're missing out. We definitely won't show sticker. up at your house with Kill Her Goats. We force you to watch it. <laughs> watch it. Watch it. <laughs> Witness me. Um, but that said, we finished a block. We've done a listener episode. It's time for something new. It's a new block. We must uh, boldly go, you might say. So, Jason, where are we going next? We are going to the realm of science fiction. Specifically, Uh, non-horror science fiction. Because that's that's too easy. Yeah, when you first pitched this to me, I had like 20 movies. Yeah. And then you you put, oh, asterisk, no horror. And then I went down to like two movies. (laughs) And I was like, fuck, I got to go do some research. So things like Alien Don't Apply or Event Horizon Mm -hmm. or... Hellraiser three or four, you know, four was <laughs> and, and maybe we can do that as its own block one day down the road. Sci-fi or horror films, yeah. yeah, for sure, be a good one. Um, so we were experimenting now with if you pitch the topic, you kind of lead off. Yes. So where are you starting us? We, I'm going to make a gamble. Okay. And throughout another movie I haven't seen since I was a. Pause. Is it about little kids? It is not about little <laughs> kids. <laughs> okay. 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 There are, I don't think there are any children in this movie. <laughs> Usually when you say it's a movie from my childhood, I haven't seen it in a while. The next thing is, it's about these little kids child endangerment. who get put into a dangerous situation. You're like the Diet Coke of Erica from Unsung Horrors, <laughs> yeah. where, where she has the book about child killing. And then you're like, here's all these movies where kids are kind of in danger, but nothing bad ever happens to them. Uh, no, no, no children in this one. Okay. I, I realized I was doing a little streak there, and I'm like, <laughs> where did that come from? Um, but it's a movie from, uh, it came out in 1985. Okay. So it's probably around the time I saw it. I was probably 10 or 11 or something like that. Um, and I remember really liking it. It was very different when I saw it. Mm. So it's sort of that same feeling I have of Miracle Mile. Okay. I, I quite loved Miracle Mile. I, I, and I was so happy you did. And I was so happy that movie <laughs> Held up, stayed yeah. good. Hopefully this one will too. I, I, that's, that's a... Mm, that's a Roll the dice. Yeah. I don't want to compare it to Miracle Mile. I don't know if it's that good. But I remember being very impressed by it. I thought it was interesting and different. It is called The Quiet Earth. Mm, it sounds familiar. Directed we... by Jeff Murphy. It's a British film. Hmm. I think it's British. Okay. It's definitely another foreign film. Now, where can we track this down? Uh, currently, it? it is free on Tubi or Plex. Hell yeah, Tubi. Mm-hmm. To the rescue. Yep. And I'm pretty sure there is a uh, DVD or Blu-ray of it, too. Oh, nice. But let's check that out real quick. I mean, I would watch it for free first, and if you really dig it, <laughs> Yeah, probably right. a good idea. Um, oh, well, no, there is a Blu-ray. It is $30 currently on Amazon. From who? It was put out by... I don't know, man. Hang on. It's technically irrelevant. Only I care about that. But <laughs> uh, can, I don't see the distributor. Doesn't matter. We'll talk about it next time. Yeah. All right. So go check it out. Um, go watch it. Come back and join us. <laughs> see what you guys think. Um, and it worked out pretty well having Chris drop in as a guest in the middle for the second of three episodes. So maybe we'll try to rope in another guest this time, potentially. Should I 
say what the movie is about. Give the blurb. Sure. Regarding the it. sci-fi is pretty broad. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> a man named Zach Hobson awakens to find himself alone in the world. In a desperate attempt to search for others, he finds only two who have their own agenda. Sounds like a uh, Twilight Zone episode, kind of. It's very Twilight Zoning. Oh, cool, cool. It is very Twilight Zone. I'm in. Yeah. Nice. Cool. All right, well, fun episode, fun movie. Yeah. Fun time with you, my friend. Good time, same here. But like all good things, we have come to the end. Mm. So, you know the drill. Hit us up on your favorite form of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, yeah, I think that's the only places we're at right now. You can email us at genreexposure at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We have a YouTube. It's just a mirror of the show. There's yeah. nothing fancy over there right now. No. But maybe. You never know. If we get that Emmanuel board game. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. We'll see. Dream big is what I say. Um, so thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, man, help us out. Go go leave us a review or a rating on your podcasting platform of choice. It yeah. helps us. We don't have big dreams we just want to find our people and connect with them that's right so we appreciate you tuning in help push us along to others yeah and And give us some science fiction movies to watch yeah what's your favorite science fiction movie that's non-horror when you know listener suggestion that science fiction be cool that'd be perfect I don't think we have one right now yeah we need one it's fine (laughs) well all that being said you have been listening to genre exposure bye everyone take care listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening